Today's episode is loaded. Some are saying it's the best of 2023. We have almost an hour with Todd McShay on the top of the draft, the trade stuff, and the update on Jalen Carter. We talk tight ends, wide receivers. We cover it all. Kevin Herter, Sacramento Kings, your number two seed in the West on playing in Sacramento, leaving Atlanta, the trade, and a little MVP talk. That's pretty fun. We have an update on the bad kissing life advice. We have two more life advice. A big Thursday pod for you. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Excited about this. Get to do it a couple times every year. Todd McShay of ESPN. His mock draft is out now on ESPN.com. Updates those every couple weeks. Uh, what's up, man? About a month ago, fired up. Not much. I'm just sitting in this, this dark room watching tape. Did um, Cam Jones, a six-round linebacker from Indiana this morning. So that's that's about where my life is right now. Okay. All right. Not yeah. a bad life, though. You know what yeah. you signed up for. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's start there, then. Let's start at the top. Uh, Carolina makes the trade. Um, I don't know how much that changes how this would have played out. Obviously, if the Bears kept the pick, it, it would change the story around it. So what what do you think is a realistic set of options for what Carolina could do here with number one? I, so I, I had to update the mock draft that I did, the, the 3.0, immediately after. And I, I had Bryce Young going one, and I just kept him there. The more I talked to people in the league and, and the more I kind of just analyzed the situation – Frank Reich has always worked with with bigger quarterbacks, pocket passers. I've got a list here. You ready? Peyton Manning, 6'5". Phillip Rivers, 6'5". Carson Wentz, 6'5". Nick Foles, 6'6". Andrew Luck, 6'4". Jacoby Brissett, 6'4". Matt Ryan, 6'4". And you've got a 5'10 and change quarterback in Bryce Young, who's up to 204 pounds. And I think think he's magic. I think he's the best quarterback in the class. I would take him number one. But I don't know that that fits what they're looking for. C.J. Stroud is six three. Um, you know, he, he's built a little bit bigger. He's still kind of a lean frame guy, but he is. If you're looking for the best pure pocket passer in this class, it's Stroud. So t- to me, Stroud makes the most sense. The wild card in, in all of it is Anthony Richardson, who completed what like fifty three percent of his passes this past year. Up and down, looked looked like a Heisman Trophy winner and the number one overall pick against Utah. I had him the next week against Kentucky, and they absolutely shut him down. And and he looked he looked like a guy that just was lost. And it was kind of like that all season long, up and down. He had two 400 passing yard games. He had two 100 yard rushing games. But some of the other games, he just when they take away certain things and their gap discipline, they don't allow him to run. It really limits what he can do at this point. So. He has the lowest, the lowest floor, but the highest ceiling of all of these quarterbacks. So he would be interesting. I, I don't think it'll be Richardson at number one, but I have heard that Frank Reich, the head coach, is, is really intrigued by what he could do developing him. Uh, but CJ Stroud seems to me like the best fit for, for Carolina at one. And then in Houston, 
you get Bryce Young. And then the big question is at number three, Arizona would be crazy not to move out of that three spot because especially if it's a trade, just moving back one spot with Indianapolis. Chris Ballard, the GM, has put together everything but a quarterback. He's tried the veteran route over and over again, and it just hasn't worked. And so you've got Vegas sitting there at seven needing a quarterback. They could move up to number three and get get ahead of of uh, Indianapolis. And now you're Indy and you're getting the, the fourth best quarterback. Maybe maybe he's the second best quarterback on your board, but he, he's the fourth quarterback to come off the board. So that that to me is the next domino to fall. I don't know if it will if it will be draft night or, or when it will happen, but I'll be shocked if Arizona, if we get to the first night of the draft, if they wind up picking num- number three. Okay, all right. So I have follow ups on all of them. I love Bryce too. Uh, I think his reading of defenses, like if you were going to try to bet on that intangible thing that seems so impossible to predict with quarterbacks, like he would be the best bet of any of the intangible stuff of not being overwhelmed, poise, all yep. the stuff you want. But, you know, you and I had talked about what he weighed when he was at Bama and it wasn't even close to 204. Those could have been exaggerations. I also wonder with the combine, if you go straight up, like I am going to find a way to tip the scales at over 200 pounds, even though it's not really who you are. You know, like I wonder if you just go, we have to have a two in front of this number. And then all you're doing is trying to find a way to put on any kind of weight just to make sure that number seems more acceptable. He's not small. He's like the smallest. He's been working like crazy. And I I met with him. I I covered him for the uh, Mississippi State game. And I, I can tell you, like, you know, you meet with quarterbacks like Car- Car- not Carson Wentz, uh, Will Levis. I had met with him a couple of weeks earlier. He's, what, 6'4", 225. He looks the part. You know, I CJ Stroud is a little bit lean, but he's got the height. Um, Anthony Richardson, I, I, did, I told you I did the Kentucky game. You meet with him, and it's like you're looking at a giant, 6'4", 244 pounds, obviously the mobility and the arm strength. Um, but just, you know, shaking, shaking Bryce Young's hand. And standing next to him and talking to him, it's like, man, I'm I'm worried. I'm, like, he has everything you want. I've never seen a quarterback at the college level who's like this, just poised. Like nothing affects him. It, it, Herb Street and I talked about it, and he had a great great comparison that I think you'll appreciate it as a as a basketball guy. He's Steph Curry. You know, like Steph had everything but the size, but. Because he has such a good feel and an innate sense, and and, and even like the, you know, like the the throw the the, the throws for a touchdown and, and walking away with a hand up and just he just the confidence that he has in his game and, and knowing where everyone is, the ability to extend, he has everything that you're looking for except you're worried about that frame. And and Tua Tagovailoa is is kind of a similar situation, you know, coming out of Alabama, undersized. Miami is rolling when he's healthy. And then all of a sudden the concussion happens. He's not 100% and the organiza- organization falls apart in the second half of the season. So that's what you're worried about if you're an NFL team is, is can, he, can he play 17 games every year? He was mostly durable the last couple of years at, at Alabama, but he did have the shoulder problem. You know, he had the shoulder injury that kind of limited him uh, from, from throwing during the weeks of practice for about three weeks. Then they they had a bye week, but um, but ultimately it, it really comes down to that. It's just it's going to be team preference and and the level of concern about his size. 
Yeah, and there are guys that are 6'4", 230, the fifth to Bill, be on the cover of the magazines that go top 10, and they stink. So that's kind of where I landed on it a month or so ago, where I was like, you've loved watching this guy play football the entire time. Um, if I had the number one pick, I, I don't think I could pass on him, even though history tells me, like, look, Kyler and Tua get hurt. They're on the smaller side. You know, Russell Wilson was thicker. Breeze really is the anomaly. I don't know if you had the note, but was there some number that, like, Bryce would be the smallest first-rounder taken since 2006, was it? Yeah, over the last decade. I, I know at least the last 10 years, but I think 2006 might, might be right. Right. So, I, you know, I hope it works out for him. Let's get on the Richardson part of this, because I think this is kind of an interesting thing is, like, you know, I watch all day Saturday. I watch all day Sunday, right? Not, not like I'm, you know, I'm not looking for an award here. But there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of Sunday people that don't watch any Saturday, right? Yep. There's a lot of Sunday people that are very protective of Sunday, and they almost like look down on the people that like Saturday too. And I was like, if you ever reverse the scenario where if I said, well, I only watch college football, but here's what I think about every single NFL player, right? You would be like, why am I listening to you? And, you know, you can watch tape and you can do the combine and all that kind of stuff, too. But if you watched Anthony Richardson this past year, which is really funny because you came on early. I remember he was projected as a first rounder and I was going off of two years ago. I was like, that seems crazy to me. And then he has the Utah game where I'm like all in. And then he wasn't good. He just wasn't good. And you had even said something like they had changed coverages on him and he hadn't quite figured it out. I think it's kind of funny to watch all the Sunday guys fall in love with somebody who just didn't look like he was very good at the position. And now he's going to go top 10 with 13 career starts and bad numbers. Yeah. It's all about, it's all about traits and, and being able to develop. Like if Josh Allen doesn't get with Brian Dable, Josh Allen isn't, isn't Josh Allen. You know, look at what Daniel Jones this past year. I mean, they were done with him. His, he was, he was going to go somewhere else probably as a backup. Yeah, when they don't pick you up your option, that's a pretty good sign that they're they're done yeah. with you. Right. Yeah, so they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. All of a sudden, Dayball comes in, works with him, gets him comfortable, gets him to, you know, in, in plays that, that that work for him, and and all and it works out. But there's no guarantee, and, and there's only a handful of Dayballs out there. You know, like Patrick Mahomes was is a phenomenal talent. There's no question about it, but his mechanics were disgusting in college. He told me, I, I did the, the Chiefs preseason game for a few years. We sat down and talked, and he, he said, Todd, I couldn't identify the mic, meaning the middle linebacker. He's like, I was like 60% identifying the mic, which is something you can do in high school. He just never had to do it with the offensive system that he was in. But he had Alex Smith, who's a veteran, a genius, and, and was willing to work with him. For a full year and taught him a lot of things. He had Andy Reid, who was a great quarterback developer and an offensive you know, mind and genius, and, and had that year to, do, to kind of sit back and learn. And all of a sudden, he, he has the opportunity to come in and play at the level that he has played at. So I, to me, Vegas makes a lot of sense. They just brought in Jimmy Garoppolo, right? You know Jimmy can be your starter for this year. And let Anthony Richardson work behind Jimmy, learn from him, learn how like what it takes to be a pro, learn all the little things, like the nuances of the position, learn how to read coverages better, work on his footwork and the consistency of, of his mechanics. And, and then all of a sudden, maybe you have something special in year two or year three. So, but if it's Indianapolis and, he, and he's got to go play right away, right away, I just, I don't know what to expect. And you also like you got to remember the the Ravens, the Eagles. They they took it, not just like their offense, but organizationally, 
they structured everything around their quarterbacks and what they did. And Lamar, when he came in the league, was not the passer that Lamar is today. You know, he, he has developed so much because of the time he's had and the work he's, he's been, been able to put in. But I remember talking to John Harbaugh and it's like, it's not just the offense we're going to put in. It's not just that we're going to allow him to run and utilize his mobility and, and really take advantage of it. But we're loading up on defense. We're going to be great on special teams. We're like this whole organization is going to work to make sure that he is put in the best spot to win. And the Eagles did the same thing, you know, in, in their situation too. So, and then all of a sudden you start to see Jalen Hurts get better and better as a passer. Remember last year at this time, we were talking about the Eagles making a trade and getting an extra first round pick potentially to, to be in this market for one of these top four quarterbacks because they weren't sure that what Hurts was going to be. I mean, Hurts has the season that he has. And now, now they're in great shape and they can build around him. So it, it, and I know, like, I know people get frustrated and say, well, you know, what's he going to be? Tell me, tell me what he's going to be. Project what he's going to be. I know what he can be, but I also know what, what the failure level could be. And it all depends on the coaching staff, the organization and the patience. You've got to go to an organization that has patience and, and like the, the opportunity to be patient in order to allow him to develop. Okay, we haven't really touched on Stroud enough. The, the Georgia game was incredible. Uh, you've called it the best game of his career, considering the stakes. I don't know that there's much debate. He ran more, which you know I think everybody, especially in college, wants at least that threat, that dynamic there, and he was terrific. I don't know if the Ohio State QB thing is even a thing yet. I've brought it up in the past where you know you look at some of the other guys that didn't work out. Like, am I really going to get like? Am I going to look at Ohio State and be like, because Cardale Jones and JT Barrett and Haskins, you know, unfortunately we lose him. So it's too early. It's too early to talk about that with Fields. I guess the only thing that I would think is fair is that Ryan Day and that group, they run such an amazing offense yes. that there's open throws all season long. And you're better talent wise than pretty much everybody you're going to play. Like yep. there's no, there's no, like there's a gap with half of your schedule where it's not even close because Ohio State has like, I know Big Ten fans are going to want to hear this, but they have comparable SEC talent throughout the entire roster. And if Michigan is in an up year, then maybe we can talk about them being close in talent. I know they've gotten them the last couple of years in that matchup. But when I watch Ohio State games, I'm so impressed with what they do, but also realizing, man, there's a massive gap with the dudes are going up against. And on top of like a two-year run of four NFL receivers yeah. that are all studs, that I am telling you, I wouldn't bet Either way on Stroud, and again, as I do this more and more, I become more clueless about who's going to be good in the pros. But I wonder if there's that kind of conversation in NFL circles of like the advantage Ohio State has because of their great coaching and because of the talent mismatch they face most of their schedule. I'm not as worried about like the past guys because Stroud is different. He's so much better than them, right? Or well, yeah. even Fields, even Fields. Yes, and Justin Fields, we've seen he's a great runner and he's great right. off script. He's not great in the pocket. And what Stroud is is the exact opposite. He, he is great inside the pocket. He processes like this. I mean, just from one read to the next to the next, he does a great job of, of getting the ball out quickly. He has the arm strength. He has the smoothest delivery. And throws the best ball of all the quarterbacks in this. In this class. I got to see him in person, and it is he does when it's when it's a bunch of other dudes that are all like at his level, resume wise, and all that kind of stuff. Seeing Stroud throw in person was one of the more impressive things I've seen. 
Yeah, and even like the combine means nothing to me from a, a throwing standpoint. Outside of the fact that you get to see him live and you get to see like one after the other, after the other, after the other. And if you were just dropped on this planet and it was the first time you saw any of these quarterbacks throw, it was so damn obvious who the best passer was in, in, in the group with CJ Stroud. I mean, just the ball just comes off his hands so purely the ball placement, the trajectory, everything that you look for is there. The biggest knock on him was use your feet, man, like create extend like with Bryce things would fall apart and and everything was in slow motion for him and nothing was working too fast for him and he would like even did like the he's a smaller Patrick Mahomes to me like like the Mahomes thing where he's rolling out and has like the presence of mind to look back as he's rolling to his right to see how much time he has to, to extend the play to wait for his receiver to get open down the field feels the pressure and then knows, gets the ball out right on time. Like little things like that, that, that add up and, and are, are becoming, you know, the college game, it used to be the, the NFL game would trickle down to, to the college level. The college game is trickling up to the NFL level. Part of it is just poor, poor quarterback play. Part of it is, is a lot of the spread offenses, the RPOs and all those different things and, and not asking quarterbacks to be pure pocket passers. Going through progression reads and doing all the things that, that we were so used to with, you know, Mannings and Brady's and Breezes and, you know, all the great quarterbacks in the last like 15 years. But to me, Bryce Young shows the ability to extend and he does it with such poise and ease that it's, it, it it's unique. Stroud, we got to see finally in that Georgia game. It was, it's almost like there were, he had a month leading up to that game of, of listening to everyone say, you know, he's not pointing to his potential. He won't run. He's afraid to run. He doesn't want to extend plays. And he got pissed off and decided, you know, like, like I'm taking over this game. And if he can bottle that up and bring that to the NFL and, and start to do more of that, he's got a chance to be a star. He really does. He, he is that pure of a passer. And he's, he's not a great athlete, but he's mobile enough. He's mobile enough to extend plays, as we saw. If you can extend plays against Georgia and have that kind of success against that defense, you can do it in the NFL. Ah, he was a stud that night. It's one of my favorite games of the season. Okay, let's talk about Jalen Carter speaking to Georgia. Uh, We know that we're probably still waiting on information. Clearly, teams are doing their own investigation on him being involved in, you know, car racing or alleged, you know, to be involved in this thing that led to the crash. He was not driving that car. Um, what's going to happen with him here? Because he is what your number one prospect in the entire draft. You're just going by skill. By skill, yes. Ahead of all the quarterbacks, ahead of Will Anderson. Like, if if you told me, if you promised me there was not going to be an off the field issue, and he was going to be a model citizen for his career, I would take him number one. I, if I was Chicago, I wouldn't have even traded out. I would have just taken him number one. He's that good. I mean, he, you watch him; he's so disruptive. Run plays. He's, he has the strength. He gets off box in a, fl- in a flash. He chases. He, he he has a great motor. He gets guys from behind as a pass rusher. I know that the sack production wasn't there, but but the pressures were there. And and as an interior guy, it's so important to get that quarterback off his spot and, and to create chaos. And he does that on almost every play. The other thing, listen, there were character issues before this incident. 
in this incident, there's a lot of information that that will still come out. We're going to find out some things. I think on April 18th, I think there's an arraignment or I'm not good with the legal information. So don't quote me on it, but I think it's April 18th, which is, you know, just before the draft. So you've got all these NFL teams kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, and I don't want to get into the specifics of, of the story and what I know about that, that, that story, but I, I can say, even prior to the incident, and, and I said it on a, a, a Sports Center special, my mock draft, I think 2.0. There were questions about his character, and, and I said gently, and I and I specifically said, "Listen, I'm just saying this. Like, I've got him going number. I have him as the number two overall player right now. I think I had him going number five to Seattle in the mock draft. And I said, if he falls a little bit, it's because there are some character issues. And, and like, a broad picture, like work ethic." practice habits, being late for meetings, things like that, and some other stuff. But um, so you add all that together, and and now you've got to really do some digging, like private investigation and dig, digging. Like every NFL team has a, a, like a former FBI agent and, or something like you know, to that degree, and, and they're going to have to really dig in and find out what you're going to get with Tark. Because, again – you have potentially the number one player in this draft, but you have a guy that do you trust him? And is he going to kind of give it all for you? Is, is he going to be able to play, you know, his whole rookie year? What's going to happen? So there's a lot to unpack there. And okay, know, let me, let me uh, jump in. Let me jump in here. Cause yeah. I, I want to actually ask you a question. That's, that's a little bit more about your job in relation to the Jalen Carter stuff. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, look, I'm biased. I've known you a long time. We're friends. And whenever we're leading up to kind of the pre-draft season, you know, there might be a player where you're going to go, oh, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're dipping, which also means you've heard way more stuff than you're sharing with us. And I would say that knowing you, that you wouldn't just go on TV to be like, hey, I'm just going to blast this kid for no fucking reason. But right. that's what it's turning into for you personally. So when the Jalen Carter thing came out, it's like, oh, here goes McShay again. And the idea that you would just say, hey, I'm going to pick a kid. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, let's go detackle Jalen Carter. I'm just going to dump on him. Um, the media, other people in the media lose their minds. A lot of football people get really pissed at you. Yep. Do you do you think you're going to get to a point where you're like, look, I could just do the draft profiles. I could do the scouting. I could talk about who they are as players. Like, I'm just not even going to get into it because now that's what seems to happen to you every single year. I'm not going to change, man. I, and I, I hope everyone realizes, like, I sit down, I do 400 reports every year. And with every report, I get a character, like a background check from two different scouting services. And then I have all these friends and, and relationships in the league. And so I have seven sources and I have a page, a Word document, page, a full page of notes of seven different conversations, seven different sources on, on Jalen Carter. And this was prior to the incident. So. Right. And all the backlash that you faced, obviously, was, you know, again, the timeline here, you had said this all before, uh, you know, the alleged stuff that's gone on. So go right. And, and it's my job to to let fans know like, if a player is going to move up or down the board because of what, whether it's an injury, character concerns, whatever it is, I, I feel like it's my job to, to put it out there. I always handle it with kid gloves. I never get into specifics when I think it's, it's something that would embarrass the player. And I can be, and I truly mean this. Like I sit here and read these reports and, and so many of these guys like come from horrible backgrounds 
you know, terrible upbringings, no money, living in cars. Like, it, it, you, it's hard not to pull for, for a lot of these guys. And I want success for all of them. Why wouldn't I? You know, like, I, I get to know them, whether it's, you know, meeting at games or, or, or just studying them and, and hearing their story and talking to scouts who have spent time with them. And so every single player, unless there's like, a, a, you know, abuse to a, a woman or something horrible, I'm pulling for all of these guys. I really am. And I hope Jalen Carter turns things around and I, I hope he becomes a special player. And I, I hope he learns from some of his mistakes. And I, and I hope that he, he winds up and, and turns out to be a, a great human being and, and help us help society and use his money and use his power and use his influence to, to help with charities and, and everything else. But I, I, I promise you, I pull for all these guys. And I and, and the other thing is like with Jalen specifically, I've spent 95% of my time talking about how great of a player he is on the field. I've even emphasized like, yeah, you might not get in practice what you want to get in practice, but that dude will play his ass off for you. And he does every down when he's on the field. And so there's something to be said for that. There's also something to be said for this. He got an, an ankle injury, missed a couple of games in the middle of the season. He's going to be a top five pick at that point, right? He doesn't shut it down. And, every, and, and people will say, well, you know, he could have won. An, he's going for a national championship, and of course, he's not going to shut it down. Well, Jackson Smith and Jigma was going for a national championship, and I, and, and I've had his agent, you know, scream at me through some people at ESPN, and I get it. And I, but I've heard from so many different sources that there was a chance that he had that he could have come back and played. And and a month or so later, a, after the, the semifinal game where they they lost to Georgia and played that great game, he. He has a 35-inch vertical, 10-5 broad jump, 6.57 three cone, and a 3.93 20-yard shot. So it, could, it couldn't have been that bad, you know. And so my point is, and I'm not, I'm not digging to Jackson Smith and Jigma. He's a great player, and he's, and and I think he's going to be a, like a mid-first-round pick and and go on to do great things. My point is, Jalen Carter, from the football character perspective, when it comes to like wanting to be their first team and, and all that. He chose not to shut it down. He came back. And in fact, he played his best football the last, I'd say, four or five games of, of this past season. Okay, that's a good transition then into the wide receivers because I think I was a little surprised to see Jackson Smith and Jigba behind uh, some of the other guys because I thought he was the crispest combination of all the things, even when Alave and Wilson were his teammates and then having both of those dudes be like, he's actually the best and it yeah. didn't feel fake at all. That was a great interview. <laughs> right. And, you know, when I look at Quentin Johnson at TCU, like I love his – there's a little DeAndre Hopkins there for me where it's like if the ball's even, it's his – you know, yeah. I think out of his break, he can look. I mean, I think his forty time at the pro day is going to be really important for Quint Johnson because I feel like, hey, this guy's still going to make plays. But if that like high end first round, especially in not the greatest depth for this wide receiver class, like I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really curious, like how Smith and Jigba ends up behind them. I don't know if it's part of the stuff that you're talking about. Maybe we'll see what the Johnson 40 time would be good enough. Again, this is just me like remembering because I felt like I watched a lot of TCU because all those games are so much fun. Yeah. But he was this awesome weapon, but like out of the breaks. And I'm starting to dip into the McShea territory here. But, you know, was he was the he's the cleanest out of it or was he so much more physical than the other guys? And then you get the Tennessee kid, Jalen, who, you know, he was burning people up, but it, 
you know, you're like, is it Tennessee? Is it, is it where they were using him? Is it how they were using him? And then we haven't even talked about Addison for, for SC. It's a very close group where I can see yes. five different people liking five different receivers. I totally agree. Totally agree. I, I actually, the more I study Quentin Johnson, and, and, I, and I like Quentin a lot. I, I do. Like 6'4", what was he? Um, I think two, yeah, he's huge. Yeah. 6'4", he checked in 6'3", 208. Third, almost 34 inch arm length. Um, but, but again, in, in a 40 and a half inch vertical, 11 2 broad jump. I mean, the dude is explosive. And yeah, I want to see what he's going to run in a 40. But if you have that kind of broad jump and vertical jump, you're probably going to run pretty fast. So, and on tape, he runs pretty fast. And the thing that it's, I call him a pterodactyl. I mean, he, he, his arms are so long and he does such a great job, you know, 50 50 balls going up and getting it. But what's different about Quinton is he has twitch. Like not many guys at his length are able to to shake, you know, shake the first guy and, and make a couple guys miss. And he does it consistently on tape. But he's not a great route runner. A lot of the game, you know, a lot of his game was quick slants, you know, drag routes, and, and vertical routes, right? And he was just going to win because he was always bigger. Like I loved him. I loved him, but I yeah. didn't see like. Again, this is just me watching Saturdays, right? But I, I never felt like, hey, that's a one on Sundays. There, there's with all of these I'm guys, wrong. there's 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 something, right? Jordan Addison, I think, is the best pure route runner and and receiver, and and tracks the ball so well, and it's just he finds a way to get open and he makes plays. But he's you know he's he's tiny, and and you're concerned about him, like how is he going to hold up? When you, you look at his size, what was it official? It was 5'11", 173 pounds. So you're talking about a guy who, you know, can he get off the press in the NFL? Are we going to have to move him around and, and try to, you know, try to motion him to, to get him a, a clean release? But I, I, I think Addison, if you're looking for a guy who's going to be a number three slot and come in right away and be a playmaker, I think Addison is your guy. Quentin Johnson, a little bit more of a gamble, a little bit more development has to happen, but he has the upside. Um, Jalen Hyatt, you said it. You said it perfectly. And, and I remember sitting down talking to Heupel before uh, before one of their games early in the season. And he said, he's, and, and that's when Cedric Tillman, who's a big physical receiver, had a great year over a thousand receiving yards this season before. He had some injuries this year. He, he played well when he was when he was healthy, but he wasn't healthy very much this year. But that Cedric Tillman was the guy. But he, I remember Heifel turning to me like, "Listen, I, I know what you do, and I know what you're focused on. If if we can get if we can get Jalen Hyatt to like be more consistent and and do the little things that we're asking of him, he is he's going to be special." And all of a sudden, he turned it on. And yeah, they worked him in the slot and in those bunches, and they were you know spread out wide, and the offense did provide so many opportunities for him. But he's a burner, and he, he I mean. It's hard to find that kind of speed. He's six foot. He's another small guy, 176 pounds. He ran a four four, 40 inch vertical, 11 three broad jump. I mean, he he's an explosive dude. And so you've got those guys, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba. Here, here's the thing with, with in Jigba. There's nothing unique about him physically. Like he's he's not the biggest guy. He's not the fastest guy. You know, he's 6'1", 196 pounds, so he's average, 35-inch um, vertical, not the explosiveness. He has drops on tape, but he just has such a good feel for the game. 
And yes, he has some focus drops, but he makes some tough catches. And and the way he worked the slot and the way he was able to consistently get open, he just the game is slow to him. You know, everything's he's got that easy speed, and everything is is every it's always under control. So I I think to me like Addison and and Jackson Smith and Jigba are the two guys that I can count on that I truly believe because of their route running and their feel for the game will come in as rookies and, and make impacts probably as number threes, probably as slots. Quentin Johnson, like I said before, Vance, Anthony Richardson, low floor, really high ceiling. We'll see what happens and, and how he's utilized. And then Jalen Hyatt is, is, is a guy who's just, he's so explosive that you get, you get excited about what he can be. But you got to kind of scheme it so he has the opportunity to get down the field. We've seen a lot of burners in college who you think are going to be great in the NFL who don't turn out. And the other guy I've got to mention that I love in this group, Zay Flowers from Boston College. He, I, I met with, with uh, Jeff Halfley. I went and watched practice at, at BC in August. And he's like, this dude is the energizer bunny. He's like, he comes into meetings and, and he's fired up. He, you know, the weight room, he's getting everyone going. He, he runs like from, from drill to drill. He runs out to practice. He runs back from practice. Like he, and you see it on the field. He is, he's just, the energy he has, the energy he plays with, the speed he has. But again, he's five, nine, 185 pounds, but he ran a four, four, two. So he's got the speed. He creates after the catch. But I think Zay Flowers is going to be a really good pro too. So you've got to, you don't have, you know, the Jameson Williams this year. You don't have like the, the Jerry Judys or Henry Ruggs and, you know, Devontae Smith and, and, and all those guys that came out of Alabama. You just, you don't have those guys in, in this class. But you, what you do have is a bunch of guys that I think can come in and contribute. And I think you're going to get them at a pretty good value. Probably, I don't know if the, First receiver is going to come off the board until after pick ten, you know, which is which is different than what we're, we're used to seeing. Yeah, and I think I just want to clean up one thing I said about Quint Johnson. It's that when I think of like a number one, I don't think of like the thirty-two options as number one receivers. You know, yeah. he certainly could be that. I kind of have like a group of ten where it's like, okay, that dude. Yeah, like, he's the guy. Right, you have to kind of scheme for him the entire game, and. uh that's look. If he were that, then he'd be going in the top ten. He wouldn't be mid round projection with all these other dudes. Even though I probably lean Smith and Jigba, just because I felt like he kind of had like this baller in him uh, when he was playing for Ohio State. But um, you know, maybe that gets back to some of the Ohio State stuff I was saying before. All right, let's talk tight ends because this one actually I do find frustrating. I can't believe I'm seeing Darnell Washington argued over Michael Mayer in some spots. Uh, I Was- Washington. I think this is for those of us that watch Georgia play a lot, where a lot of us did watch Georgia play a lot because it was fucking awesome to watch Georgia play. Uh, If you want to make a pro Darnell argument, you would say, well, look, Brock was the guy. But like, dude, they didn't even like Georgia. Think about what Georgia did this year. You didn't like nobody even knew who the receivers were other than Georgia fans. Yeah. (laughs) And so there were still opportunities. And I understand the Oregon hurdle and those two catches he had in the Vandy game. But, like, Mayer is the total pack. Like, I look at them as completely different offensive weapons. And if I'm a quarterback, I know what I want. And I know the Washington argument as well. It's this extra offensive line. Look at the blocking. No shit. But he's also mauling college kids. For his size and his athleticism, I get it all. But when I see a mock where Michael Mayer's going, like, 
26th and Washington's going 27th. I'm like, what the fuck did you guys watch this past year? Yeah, I, I saw Mayor, I think, at like 11 overall on the board. And I have, I have Washington late first, early second. And, I, I, and I'm sure he's probably going to go late in the first. He's 6'7", I get it, 6'7", 264 pounds, almost 35-inch arms. So he, like, he's got the length, 11-inch hands. Like he, he is built like, like nobody else at the tight end position. But in his production, like he, he averaged, I think, around 17 yards per catch. But you got to understand, like, yes, he's a, he's a great blocker. He, he's, it's like having a six, six uh, offensive lineman, and, and I'll give him that, and that's huge. But he's going to be limited as a pass catcher. He's not going to ever be great as a pass catcher in the NFL. Michael Mayer was a grown man playing, like a third-year NFL veteran playing in college football the last two years. I swear and, Notre Dame falling off this year kind of like with the expectations, then everybody forgot about this dude. And he yeah. was at times like the only guy that got open. Yeah, and get to, get to know him a little bit too. Like, like his passion for the game how committed he is. And I know so many of these guys are, but he just like, he's a pro already. And and it's not like he has bad measurements. You know, he, he, he's well built. And, 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 and the thing about him is he can block in line. He can block, you know, from the F tight end position. He's six, six, four and a half, 250 pounds. Like that's, that's perfectly normal. And yeah, he ran a four, seven. And it's, it's not ideal, but it's faster than people thought. And four, there's not, nothing wrong with a four seven forty. He's never going to be a, a, a great vertical threat. But my goodness, like if you need a third down catch or you need yards after the catch, he's not Gronkowski. No one's Gronkowski, but he's the closest damn thing I've seen in college football since Gronk. Just kept catching the ball and just willing his way, dragging defenders, bowling, bulldozing, bulldozing over defenders. Just he is a physical physical dude and, and and he loves the game and catches everything everything okay. I, think, I think he had one drop in the last two years okay so while we're on this position because when i saw mayor and the washington stuff going back i've even seen washington ahead of mayor and i'm like man it's not what i saw uh and again you're not like dumping on darn washington it's just i i agree with you i think there's going to be some limitations yeah, if, where if it, was, if it was brock bowers we'd have a good conversation right but like Looking at the way the game is played now and going, wait, I can have this other option. Like it, Darnell feels like a bigger Ben Coates at times. Although, look, if he's Ben Coates, then he would take him fucking fifth overall. The reason I'm even talking about all this stuff is that we're leaving out Dalton Kincaid, who we need to talk about. Yep. Because when you watch Some people Utah, have him in the top 10. Yeah. And that actually makes sense because now you're getting a little bit more size and you're getting some more playmaking ability. I know he's older, but. He is whenever you would watch those Utah games, you know, again, they had they had two dudes that you felt like you couldn't take your eyes off of uh, in the passing game. But I'm I don't know that I'd be surprised. Like, I guess in the order of things, Kincaid ahead of mayor is going to bother me a lot less than Washington ahead of mayor. If that's the way it plays out in the first round. Yeah, you, you don't get you don't get the blocker that you get with with mayor. And, you know, with mayor, you can work, like I said, you can work him in line and, and he'll block and he'll 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 actually get movement in the run game. Kincaid is just – he's basically a bigger receiver. I mean, he'll, he'll give effort as a blocker, but he's, he's not going to give you much in that regard. But, you know, he's 70 catches, what, 870 yards receiving this year, eight touchdowns. He, he has a great feel for getting open. 
He runs really good routes. He, I mean, he had a big drop late in the season, but I didn't see many drops, you know, all season long. And, and he just, he has a great catch radius and the ability to adjust physically. Like some guys just do, do a great job with their body control of adjusting and, and making tough catches that are outside of their frame, behind them, you know, down below their knees. He, he adjusts to the football really well. So I, to me, it's, it's Mayer, Kincaid, and then Washington. Those, that, that's how my top three go. And this year's class, like, it is, it's impressive. Best position, all, best yeah, position man. depth. Yeah. I, I've got five guys in the top 50. I've got um, uh, Mayor, Kincaid, Washington, Musgrave, and and who's the uh, – uh, Tucker Kraft from uh, South Dakota State is another guy, and Sam Laporta from Iowa. So there's six guys that could go in like the top, top two rounds, top two and a half rounds, and you don't see that a lot from the tight end position. You actually rarely see that many guys coming off the board that fast at the tight end spot. Okay, I'm going to give you my favorite player. It's just somebody who, you know, probably middle first round, that kind of thing. Uh, Devin Witherspoon, Illinois, the corner, knocks the shit out of people. Although I saw somebody make a YouTube highlight today, and I think Iowa throwing the receivers, like missing them by 10 yards, isn't exactly a corner highlight uh, that should be edited into his highlight tip for the season. But <laughs> run support, size, ball skills, and... You know, anybody that can hold up physically at that corner position now with how many times you're going to have a quarterback drop back, uh, I would put him kind of in that middle first as one of my favorite players. Just like it feels like, hey, this will work for seven, eight years. It just would seem weird if it didn't. He He's a fun dude to watch. And I, I got to talk to him before the uh, Michigan game. It, it's it's war for him. But he he's a linebacker who just happens to have cornerback, you know, next to his name. <laughs> And he's lean. He's not like this this big dude, but he he talks shit all game long. He lets everybody know about it. He's gonna knock you out. He's any chance he gets to like undercut your legs, get a shot at you right before you hit the sideline. He's gonna do it. He was all over the field in that Michigan Michigan game. He's all always all over the field. He's twitchy. He's athletic. I think he could be the first cornerback off the board. And, and a lot of people wouldn't have said that coming into the year. You know, but he he ran well. He's he's physical. He loves the game. It's just remember Antoine Winfield. Oh yeah, I mean, dude, I love that guy. Undersized, but will knock your knock your block off, right? And, and just physical and just a baller, right? He reminds me of Antoine Winfield, and and Antoine Winfield was one of the best cornerbacks like of, of our generation. You know, you go back like 15, 20 years. He, he just—that's the way he plays the game. Just the physicality is is off the charts, and, and and he's got like quickness, speed, and instincts too. So it's not just he's he's this physical guy who's going to come up and knock you out. He can actually cover. I mean, he, he his numbers. That's the part that I think is crazy is like when you're watching him, you're like, oh, he's probably one of those run support defensive backs that like if you have to have him on one side of the field running with somebody, like certain quarterbacks are going to make him pay. He turns no, he's and runs away with your, He's taking away your number one guy. And then, and then if, if, if it's, if it's a screen or, or a run to his size, he's, he's an extra linebacker. Basically. Okay. Who's your guy? Give me somebody you just love. You're like, look, I know he's not going top 10 or whatever. I mean, you can even go end to first. You can even give me a second rounder. I don't care. Get Lucas just Van Ness. Oh, the Iowa kid. Iowa kid. My goodness, man. He is tall. 
He's 276 pounds. I think he's 6'5", 276. Long arms. And I, if you watch his highlight reel, there's one play of him just standing up a Northwestern offensive lineman, literally picking him up and driving him back into the quarterback. He, he bulldozed one of the offensive tackles for, um, for Ohio State. He would consistently in that game was penetrating and disrupting versus the run. He never started a game. Hockey was his, his I know it's why hockey yeah, was well, his, like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just finish. No, it. Hockey was his sport and like he was all in on hockey growing up. And then all of a sudden, you know, he, he played, I think he started like his junior year in high school playing football, redshirted his first year, never started a game. I have no, I'd love to talk to Kirk Ferentz about that. Like what, what's the reasoning? But but he played like 656 snaps this past year. So like he was basically a starter, but he wasn't technically a starter. And the best part about him is he'll beat you with power. He'll chase and he's got speed to close. But then you move him inside against a guard and an obvious passing down. And he's a nightmare because he's so quick off the ball. And it's just like, you know, one, one punch, one just like snap. And then he, he, he just right by the guard. And so I, I, you can play him outside. You can play him inside. I think Van Ness, and he's just he, like two seasons, not starting, just learning the game, hockey player growing up. He's only going to get better. And in his, I think he had seven sacks each of the last two seasons. So like the production's there and he's, you know, that he's going to get better with, with more coaching and more, more time on the field. Well, they're calling Iowa front seven U. So I would not. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Look, over the years, even when I didn't really necessarily love watching Iowa games, I would, I would go like, "Oh, here's another dude that just jumps out." Like, yeah, it's like tight, tight ends, defensive linemen, and and they'll they'll throw an offensive lineman in here and there. Oh, they have. But look, when you look up Iowa on the NFL by school, I'll pull it up right now. Like yeah. this is this is the kind of thing. If you go NFL players by college, Iowa is way up there. And um, and. And while you're looking it up, they're all like two-star recruits who are playing like eight-man football and like you know in North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa. You know, like not, they they find these guys and they see something in them, and it'll, it'll be like a quarterback or a running back that they'll move to linebacker or safety, and all of a sudden they'll develop him in three years, and, and then they go on to the NFL. It's not, you know, like Ohio State, Alabama, Michigan, you know, all, all, Georgia, all the tops, they're getting the five-star recruits. And, and so, like, they have the talent, and they just kind of have to, you know, push them along and, 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 kind, of, and kind of develop them a little bit. What Ferentz and that, that program does with players, they, they come in with, like, two stars, three stars, and, and a lot of guys, like, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in meetings with Ferentz and, and his players. He's like, yeah, two-star, he played eight-man football. In high school, you know, like just like, where do you come from? Like, how how'd you? They just do a great job of finding finding a trait, figuring out where to utilize them. And a lot of times, it's you. It's taking someone who's this position in, in in high school and moving them to another position in college. And three years later, with their training program and, and, every, and everything that they do, they're 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 built for the NFL. If they could convert a third and five in the air, they'd be fucking cooking. I mean, <laughs> Sorry, you, never mind. I, yeah, no, the, I, I've, I've never, I've never watched more painful football than Iowa offense this past year. 
Never. Ever. 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 <laughs> that's a lot. That's that's quite a ranking. But let's get let's get back to the positive Iowa stuff here. Uh, this is I, I saw this a while ago. Again, you know, the numbers could little variants here or there by a few, but this isn't a lie. Like, this is the truth. And by the way, we should include some of the defensive backs that they put in the league. So if we go active players on NFL rosters, I have it here at the end of the season, which again, you know, whatever, there's a couple here, a couple there. Bama 1, Ohio State 2, LSU 3, Georgia 4, Notre Dame 5, Michigan 6, Florida 7, Iowa. America needs a farmer. Eighth most players on active rosters. And I don't think anybody... And I actually... Ironically, I'm doing Iowa player. I did India. I started with Indiana today with Cam Jones, a six round linebacker, and then went on to Iowa. You know, I'm just I'm going down the list of, by team alphabetically. You got Lucas Van Ness, I talked about, Riley Moss, who's going to probably be a second, third round picket cornerback, Jack Campbell, who's going to be a day two picket linebacker, Sam Laporta, uh, who, who's going to be a, a second, probably a third round picket tight end. Yeah. And then um, Kayvon Merriweather, who's going to be probably like a fifth, sixth-round pick as well. So you, you got, what was that, five, six more guys that are going to be in the NFL from this year's class. Uh, this is always one of my favorite visits of the year, man. I know how busy you are. Thanks so much for the work and the time. I'll talk yeah, to you soon. Yeah, of course, brother. Anytime. This March, take your first shot at college hoops with FanDuel Sportsbook and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks in the bracket and you'll land 200 in bonus bets. Win or lose, that's 200 you can spend betting on everything from the money line to point spreads to that 5 versus 12 seed matchup that you've been eyeing. Okay, should we just go ahead and pick every 5-12? That seems aggressive. Uh, a lot of people are on Charleston plus five and a half at San Diego State. Well, again, at neutral sites here. Uh, let's let's go the other way. Let's go San Diego State minus five and a half. Uh, Colgate, Texas. Um, feeling it. Colgate plus 13 and a half. Uh, UNC Asheville, UCLA, UCLA minus 17 and a half. Let's take uh, UNC Asheville plus the points. And then we got one more VCU and St. Mary's. We'll say St. Mary's covers the four and a half really scientific all in an app that's safe secure and super easy to use there's no better place to bet the tournament than FanDuel Sportsbook sign up today by going to FanDuel.com forward slash Ryan and make every moment more with FanDuel all tournament long must be 21 and older in select states first online real money wager only $10 deposit required refund issued with non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days restrictions apply see full terms at FanDuel.com forward slash Sportsbook FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash rg colorado iowa michigan new jersey ohio pennsylvania illinois tennessee virginia 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in arizona 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in kansas 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit mahelpline.org forward slash problem gambling in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-389 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia.
This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Our second visit with him, Kevin Herter, Sacramento Kings this time around. Okay, so I've read it, but I want to share it with the audience. July 6, 2022, you're traded to uh, from Atlanta to Sacramento. Where were you? What happened? I was in Ibiza in Spain, and I was, I was on vacation. I was with a bunch of friends, hanging out by the pool, trying to stay away from my phone. And uh, it, it was funny. It was like that whole day you could kind of feel like the rock was rolling down the hill. I had gotten a call from my agent earlier in the morning saying that there's another team trying to trade for me. How did I feel about them? And uh, he said, just stay around your phone. It, it seems like there's stuff happening today. And next thing you know, like two, three hours later, I was going to Sacramento. And it was, you know, I, I hadn't heard up to that point that Sacramento was even interested. It was just all in kind of one big swoop. It was this other team is interested. And oh, by the way, hey, now you're, you're going out to California. So was there somewhere else you thought you were going to go? Uh, there were other teams that were interested. Um, I don't know if I should, I should disclose where those were, but there are other teams that were calling. I don't know what message at the time the Hawks were sending out, but it, it seemed like other teams knew I was available and could try to come get me. And, uh, that's what, you know, my agent was talking about other teams were calling and Sacramento kind of came in and gave the best offer. Is it a rule? Like when you get your first extension as an NBA player, you have to go to Ibiza with your buddies from home. Because I, I think this is a this is like a sneaky NBA destination from the stories I've heard. I don't know, honestly. I haven't. I don't know any guys personally that had been there yet. For me, it was like checking a box. I'm I'm a I'm a lifetime box checker, especially when I'm in my 20s and I'm young, single. You know, I'm, I'm trying to go to all the places that uh that that you go to when you're young. And, and Ibiza was on one of those lists. Okay, so when your boys are talking you up, was there like, wait, he's in the NBA? I mean, I know you're tall. But was was there hesitation at all in the night for what? scene that for, they believed you that that people believed you? That was kind of the best part about being over there in Spain is nobody really knew who I was, uh, and especially I don't I don't really speak much Spanish at all. So it was it was like ten days of me mostly only speaking to my buddies and walking around unnoticed. So that was for me kind of refreshing getting away. Uh, what else is on the box checking list? There's a lot of other places, uh, actually. There's Monaco. Uh, we got Greece. We got like Thailand. There, there's so many places. I feel like you have to go before you have a significant other. You know, like I'm gonna save the Italy, the France, like most of Europe, outside of Spain, I guess. Uh, but I'm sorry. I, I kind of wanna. I want to see a lot of the world, obviously. And there's, you know, I'd rather do those trips with with the guys instead of, um, you know, with somebody else, I guess. Hey, man. Yeah, and then sometimes you end up going by yourself. I can do the uh, <laughs> yeah. I can do the South of France thing for you if you need tips on it, and then some of the Greece stuff, the do's and don'ts. So we'll uh, I'll let you know if you put that together uh, this that summer. List. Okay, um, this is a franchise of Sacramento. It's the longest drought playoff drought of any of the four major sports. So you get there, and you know I always believe I'm sure you'll agree. Like you don't really win until you kind of think you can. And it's not a franchise that's been winning. You're sitting here at the two seed today. You are new to the franchise, but 
what was that thing where some of the guys had already been there where it was like looking around going, wait, we actually can be good this year and stop thinking about kind of the mental hangover of so much failure? There definitely is. That's that's definitely true. And you could tell just the way that the people who are close to the organization, you know, they've they've been through a lot. I don't it's been so long since they've seen winning. I think everybody's so hesitant in some ways to get super excited about the playoffs that because it's just like, you know, they don't want to jinx themselves. And when I first got traded here, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I was reaching out to other players who had been here or, you know, other, other coaches in some way. It was a lot of it was like, you know, hopefully things change around there. I know that, you know, the experience when I was there wasn't great, but hey, they got a brand new coach. They got mostly a new front office. Uh, it might be okay, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And we got off to a really good start. We, we were really good in the preseason. <laughs> We were really good in the preseason. Beat every team by 30. I think we were 5-0, and feeling really good about ourselves. And then all of a sudden, we were 0-4 to start the year. And I remember sitting in my backyard, like kind of scratching my head, thinking like, like damn, maybe we aren't good. Like, I, you know, I thought we, were, we felt really good in the preseason and we were going, coming into the season with such a high. But like, is this, is this what it is for Sacramento? Like, for some reason, you just, it's tough to win. And completely turned everything around after that. We're able to kind of get on a roll, forget how many, maybe one like an eight or nine game win streak at the start of the year. But there definitely is that. Like you you have to have confidence as a team. Like you have to see the results in order in some ways to believe in the results. And we didn't get it to start the year in, in terms of true games. 0-4 start wasn't great, but luckily we were able to find it and pick it up. Your game, uh, you know, whenever somebody's like shooter, that people forget or just assume you can't dribble. Like, I think there are guys that can dribble in college. And then it's like, oh, remember when that guy used to dribble in college? He just never dribbles in the NBA. And sometimes it's the system or what he's asked to do. It's like, look, there's three other guys. You're not going to get a ton of chances to handle it. But like with Seth Curry, when I started watching him more and more as an NBA player, I'm like, you know what, man? He can do way more. But you look at him as a shooter. And I think you're the same. How much did it help that it felt like, you know, I was reading some Mike Brown quotes where he knew your game or immediately your teammates understood your game, that you're not somebody who can't find his own way if something breaks down. Like I can get out of whatever you thought you needed me to do shooting wise. I just think it's such an important part of your game and makes you beyond just a guy who's a spot up shooter. Right. It is. And that was, and that was a super lazy take when I was coming out of college. Yeah. I wasn't somebody that was on a lot of first round draft boards when I came out and declared and Every writer who hadn't really heard of me up to that point was labeled just a shooter. A guy can't do much, can't do much else. And luckily for me, honestly, in in this offense, I don't really have to do a lot of dribbling. I'm, I'm for the most part playing off of Domas and playing off of DHOs and sprinting around the court and you know mostly using my movement without the basketball to get myself open. That I don't have to take a lot of dribbles. But you're right. I think there's less and less guys that are like that in the NBA nowadays. I think the way the game is played today and the skill set and the skill level across the league, you have to be able to dribble. You have to be able to create your own shot or it's just it's tough for you to be on the court unless you're an elite, elite defender. I can tell you I'm not an elite, elite defender. So I got to be able to do other things. Okay, so you're... <laughs> you said you're not an elite defender. Uh, what what do you think is wrong with you as a defensive player? Yeah, there's... Uh, <laughs> I think uh, my my effort and my urgency is is very good on the defensive end. There's just some things, you know. There's uh, the other guys maybe bigger, longer, a little bit quicker, a little bit faster. But 
I'm greedy, man. Yeah, I'll, I give a lot of effort on that side of the court. Yeah, I, I always felt it was kind of like, do you care and are you positioned correctly? Right. You know, the number of dudes that are just locking guys up on the perimeter like Drew Holiday, it's, it's not a very long list. And then you get any kind of screen and it doesn't matter if you're Drew Holiday. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's not, like I always laugh when like the draft stuff happens because I really like to draft. And, you know, you'll watch some guard and be like, well, how's he going to stay? Like, especially back in the day, to be like, how are you going to stay in front of prime Derrick Rose? How is this guy going to stay in front of prime Russell Westbrook? You're like, nobody does. <laughs> No, so it's not. That's why those guys are so special. I mean, that's why like Drew Holidays is unbelievable. You hate playing against that guy. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, that's for, I think if you're in the NBA, you're really elite at, at, at least one thing. It's, I think it's really tough to be in the NBA, especially in rotation. If you don't have one thing you're truly, really, really good at or better than everyone else on the court at. So you need a good mix of, an elite defender in your team, maybe you get two and then everybody else who puts in a lot of effort, tries really hard, is standing in the right spot, is in the right rotations. Do you think you get hunted for switches the way you did when you first came in now? A little bit the, at the start of the year, but no, not this year, not as much. I'm sure that could change in the playoffs when teams just strictly hunt for those matchups. Uh, you know, my first four years in Atlanta, we... Trey was somebody that people hunted a lot. So I kind of was, I was let off the hook a little bit and was able to be in rotations. But it is something I take personally. That's not a great feeling. You know, at the, at the end of a game or end of a quarter, if teams are trying to target you and, you know, that's a way for you to come off the court. I'm, you know, I'm somebody who tries to give my coach every reason to keep me on the court in whatever circumstance. So, you know, if, if I'm being hunted, uh, you know, obviously I'll, I'll give my best effort, guarding the ball, playing guys, trying to, trying to force them to you know, a certain way, make them take tough shots. But, you know, it hasn't actually happened too much this year. No, and watching it, I don't feel like it has. And I'm obviously the, the Atlanta point is a good one, too, because, you know, in your closing group, it's like, okay, well, we're going to go somewhere else. But I think hunting in general, it can be, like, because we can notice it, you know, and I, I always kind of caution myself at times, like, am I 100% sure I know exactly what they're trying to do? You know, like Harden had one last night where Neto was in because Rubio was out. And I was like, oh, okay, this is like, they're just Neto hunting. And I mean, it right. would go for like eight straight possessions. And even if they didn't get it, they Harden was like, I'll just try again. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm okay out right. here. And yet I do think that it can almost, and you know, tell me what you think. I think you can screw an offense up sometimes where coaches and teams aren't like, hey, let's just always hunt the bad. It's not going to it's not realistic. It's going to happen for 90 straight possessions. And then it can feel like the offense is actually hurt, hurting itself, holding itself back because it's so focused on one little mismatch. That doesn't mean you're always going to win when you get that switch anyway. No, it doesn't. And it's a great point. There's. There's not a lot of offense in the history of the NBA that have that have worked like that. You know, there's a lot of times you're seeing people get posted up in low posts. So the old time days, you put Shaq, put Carmelo. Nowadays, you got Joel Embiid. James Harden is one of the few guys that, over the full course of a of a full game, has found success in just hunting for matchups, playing one on one. Offenses get stagnant, and as defenses, you can load to the ball. There's few guys in the NBA. Maybe I won't say that. There's a lot of there's a lot of really really good one on one players in the NBA, but offenses just get too stagnant. You know, the best offense in the NBA now have have so much movement. You look at the way that we play in our offense, the Warriors, the Celtics. Like there's all those teams don't sit there and play one on one all game. So in some ways, you welcome it when teams just want to, you know, in the second quarter, hey, we're just going to continue to set ball screens and let our guy go one on one. Like 
okay, you know, we're going to load to the ball and we're going to play fast and we're going to move the ball in our end and get better shots. Incredible game against Milwaukee. You know, it was kind of like a thing going into Monday. You know, Simmons and I do the Sunday pod. and We talked up the team for about 20 minutes to start the pod, you know, and going like, what would you let yourself believe? Um, and there's so many things that I like about this team. And I just think, you know, look, I'm, everybody wants the W, but watching that game and how competitive it was, I was like, you know, this, this actually is something where I feel good still about Sacramento after the fact. But can you help us understand the Giannis part of, of just trying to be out there and going like everybody talks about building the wall doesn't yeah, I mean it's a cool theory like what are you talking about in timeouts or in huddles where you're like okay we need to do this better when it's somebody this physically gifted he's he's almost impossible to guard one-on-one -on -one, especially in transition and he's he's so aggressive over the course of the game and I didn't, I only had really one year of super ultra aggressive, like Russell Westbrook, every game, triple, double, downhill in transition. And so I imagine that that is, that is now what Giannis is. He's just seven foot with super long arms doing it. And so there's a lot of times you, you literally can't guard him without having two or three guys in front of the ball. And Milwaukee's done a great job of putting really good players around him. And that's in a lot of ways how they burned us at the end of the game was, we we're so loaded up to try to stop Giannis and other guys were able to get open shots. But he's he's physical, he's he's long, he's determined like to get to the rim. He takes two steps and he's and he's laying the ball in from the from the uh three-point line. It's just it's just super tough to guard. It's somebody that you obviously have to game plan for every game. Your best defender's on him, your second best is in help. It's just like the whole game plan is how can we try to slow this guy down because you're not gonna stop him. And they have, I mean, they have their their seven foot five man, the best shot blocker in the league, knocking down threes against us at the end of the game. So, some ways you clap your hands. It's it's a really good team. Uh, in a lot of ways, you you just got to outscore them. Like I, I don't really think you can stop the Bucks unless they have a off shooting night. You just in a lot of ways have to outscore them. And I think we're one of the few teams in the league that can that can score with them consistently over the course of a game. All right, last question about him, only because, you know, I just want to be on the floor and, and understand it. I, what I love about him is that there's never a night where I'm like, oh, I don't think he's into it tonight, which I don't even blame, you know, players for having a handful of games of noticing. If you're really watching a team's full season, you're like, okay, is anyone as consistently as aggressive as he is that you've played against in a game? Maybe Domas in terms of the physicality and that you're bringing it every single night. But he is. It's like every night Giannis seems like he's available. If he's not available, he's hurt. And then he comes back and he and he looks like himself and he's super ultra aggressive. Like we knew in the first quarter, just based off his aggressiveness of trying to get to the rim, that he's going for 50. Like you could see it in his eyes. Like And you, and you could see just the way he was playing and the shots he was taking. He wasn't settling. That's also something that's super impressive about superstars. You know, how often they are able to score high 20s, 30s, 40s. But you know, Giannis just gets easy basket after easy basket. And he rarely settles for the shots that you want him to take. He's always going to get to the shots that he wants to take that are in or around the rim that are super high percentage. And then he'll mix in, you know, see if he can hit a three here or there or his turnaround or you know, a quick 15-footer. But for the most part, the guy's just like, downhill aggressive trying to get to the rim and like you said for an 82 game season doing it every single night for the best team in the nba it's it's super impressive
Okay. I don't want your PR guy to go like, how'd it go? I'd be like, oh, we talked about the Bucks for like seven minutes. Um, <laughs> what I am really shocked with, with your team is that this is a group, you know, Domas played 15 games, I think, last year. You come over, um, you know, Keegan's a rookie, and you fit in some nice bench pieces here. Monk's another one. And yet, early on, when you had turned it around, I'm like, this group looks like they've played together multiple years. And I believe I still have it right. I don't even think it's close. If you look at your five-man uh, most played lineup, that lineup has played way more possessions as a group than any other team in the NBA this year. But again, that's just this year. What is it about this group where it feels like you already are so connected, especially offensively? Yeah, well, knock on wood, we've been able to stay healthy. And that's a huge underrated part of being a really good team in the NBA is is health. And you said it, our five-man starting lineup has the most minutes played together in the NBA. And it's by a wide margin. So we've had guys that have been available. Uh, a culture that guys aren't resting. You know, Mike Brown is on us. And, you know, we we practice and we drill things. And uh, our practices are really productive and you know he's just done a great job in a, in with our front office of putting the right pieces together. I think that you can you could talk about Sacramento teams of since I've definitely been in the league and maybe the last you know eight or nine years they've had talent. You know they they've had talent on their team. They just haven't really been able to put it together and bring out the best version of each player. And I can truly say I think there's a, there's six or seven guys on our team that arguably are playing the best basketball of their career. And I just think that's the way our roster is put together and the way we play and just having the right pieces to fit that kind of style of play. And so they pressed all the right buttons. You know, Mike has been great. Our front office since I got here has been great. And, you know, we got a team, obviously we're confident in, and, um, you know, we're really excited for moving forward with them. I want to talk more about Domas. I don't know that there's any other, well, there isn't. I already know the answer. There's no other player like him in the NBA. I'm not saying he's the best, but to get almost 20 a game, 12 boards, the seven assists, the shooting numbers, and yet he's still only taking 12 shots in today's NBA, which makes like, what is he, a six man? Like, if you're only taking 11, 12 shots a game, that's what his average is. He can play in multiple spots. And even though I am worried about the overall defense when it comes to the playoffs, like to see him be away from Miles Turner, where it always felt like they were trying to figure each other out because, you know, Turner's a perimeter big who's also terrific defensively. To see him get this full season with you, like, give me some, some better understanding of all the different ways he can be used and how it helps all of, all of you kind of working off of him as sometimes this old school center who then is very modern in, in the way that he can just kind of play all over the floor. He is. He's a unicorn. He, um, the best thing about Domas is just he empowers everybody around him. That's both with the style of play and his leadership style. He's somebody over the course of the game. If you watch our games, he's he's pushing our pace. You know how how often do you see five men in the in the NBA bring the ball up the court? You know we get rebounds and we give it to him, and and everybody's running. And he gets mad at guys if you're not cutting, you're not moving. He's not someone that goes into games worrying about how many points he he needs to score. And I could truly believe that. Like he goes into games thinking, how can I lead this offense? How can we be super efficient? How can I get other guys involved? And then when it's my time in the little block, yeah, I, I can go get a bucket or I can play downhill. I could play off all screens. But he's just so empowering. Like he, he gets so many guys on our team shots consistently over the course of the game just with his movement, his aggressiveness, his screen setting that it's, he is. He's unlike really any other big in the NBA. Um, the closest one, I think, would would be a Jokic, who's unbelievable in his own right. 
Um, I just think you know, Delmas is a little bit more athletic. He's a little little bit lighter, better on his feet. Is is more of a a true point five than Jokic might be, even though Jokic is extremely good at passing and, and moving and and playing in the half court. Uh, but Domas really just our style of play. He's he's a big driver in that playing in transition, uh, cutting, moving, shooting a lot of threes, and um, he's he's unbelievable. He's really helped me, obviously. I have a De'Aaron Fox question here, but I because you brought up Jokic and, and because this MVP race with Embiid and you know Giannis, obviously a big part of it. Um, you see Denver a little bit more. What's the difference between kind of the mental preparation? And how focused you have to be on certain things against, you know, just having Giannis as opposed to somebody like Jokic. I just think the the physicality that Giannis also brings to the game, playing on both sides of the court, you can feel his presence really over the course of the whole game. It's like he takes up just so much space on the court. Whereas Jokic in his own right, it doesn't feel like Jokic misses when he gets into the paint. And Jokic completely runs their offense. Uh he doesn't really turn the ball over. He he makes passes. Uh, yeah, he he plays. Um, obviously, he's really good in the half court. It's just a little bit different. I think you know Giannis, his presence, his size, his athleticism, his physicality, his speed is just a little bit different than a player like Jokic. Who uh, Jokic can really just kind of wear you down quietly over the course of a whole game. You look up and he's got a triple double. Where Giannis Does he set is you like, up. Does he set you up like a quarterback sometimes too? Like where he's like, oh, I see what you thought. You thought you knew. And then I'm actually doing this with the passing part of it. Yeah, he is. Like you, you look up and he's got 12 assists. And it's in the third quarter, like where did that come from? Whereas Giannis, you could feel like, oh my God, Giannis has 40. It's it's the third quarter. We need to make sure he doesn't get 50. It's it's one of those things. Okay, uh, De'Aaron Fox, he's your closer. And, you know, one of the really, I think, frustrating things for Kings fans last year is watching it. It was like, you know, when you're supposed to be the closer, you can kind of force the issue. I think there's a trust. What is that like for you knowing, okay, he's going to be our first option. The clutch numbers are incredible. It's worked out, but not, it's the falling asleep would be the wrong way to describe it. But knowing I've got to be an outlet, like I know I'm not the option, but I could still be an outlet here when De'Aaron is, is the guy, you know, it's been, it's been awesome. But what's that role like for you? Yeah, it, for me, it's pretty easy. I just got to space the floor, stay out of the way. And if my man goes, it helps just be ready to shoot. But Darren knows the fourth quarter is his. He's, uh, his aggressiveness picks up a lot in the fourth quarter, just looking for a shot, hunting his shots, playing downhill. Darren is one of the special players in the league that can always create his own shots and he can make super tough shots. Yeah, any closer in the NBA, you need to be able to, one, make jump shots. You need to be able to, to get to any shot in really any isolation situation. And everybody's so worried about his speed and getting downhill and the ability to draw fouls that a lot of people just play off and they back up, back up, back up, and he takes his mid-range pull-ups. And that's his best shot. You know, it feels like he gets to that 15-foot marker at the end of games or in fourth quarters and it's and it's money. Uh, hopefully he continues to do it. You know, we're sitting here in March and have a lot of hopefully really big games left, but he knows our, he knows he's our closer. Everybody entrusts him. He's been doing it for us all year. I think he's got three or four buzzer beaters on the year, but he's just able to get to his spots and he's super efficient in doing it. What's the biggest difference playing alongside him and then Trey Young back in Atlanta? Really not much. I mean, they're both so good on the offensive side of the court. It's uh, it's unbelievable. Like got both guys that can just take over games. Trey's a closer in himself. You know, Trey demands so much attention, just like De'Aaron does. 
that uh, they they do have a lot of similarities. Just point guards that can score and take over a game. How much do you pay attention to all the Atlanta stuff? It's hard not to. You see a lot of it. I mean, there's been so much drama come out about this year. I think this was like every year there's a team it feels like everybody picks that is just drama. And it feels like there's that's just kind of been Atlanta all year. Uh, so I see a lot of it. You know, I'm still in touch with with most of those guys on that team, uh, a couple of the coaches, but it, it's hard not to follow them. You, you see them, and I'm somebody who who follows every team in the NBA. I'm watching League Pass every night on Twitter, so I see a lot of it. Okay, I made it to Salt Lake for All Star Weekend, um, and the quote was: "The three point contest is a goal of mine. Is it still a goal?" It is even probably more so than it was what than it was. Uh, it's just like it was. Uh, just didn't make shots. Like it was one of those things. Like I, I practiced well. Was felt really good going into it, and you know the way you have to do those competitions. And, and again, it was my first time. Is you shoot and you go right to the next ball. It's not like you're watching the shot go in or you're following it. And you know, it was such a buildup for a month knowing I was in it and practice and you know, not going away, going all story. Like there's just such a buildup and in 70 seconds I was done. And it was like, you know, I missed my first seven shots, got off to a horrible start, which you really can't do in that kind of competition and just wasn't able to find it. It was, you know, over the course of it, shooting, going to the next ball, shooting, going to the next ball, you know, just drilling it, how I worked on in practice, trying to keep pace and keep tempo. And I looked up and they just, you know, <laughs> shots just weren't going in. And, um, you know, I, it's something that I would like the opportunity to do again. It was, like I said, super quick. You know, there was such a buildup. I was so excited. And then it was, it was just over that, um, super fun weekend. You know, great. Just being there, um, seeing a lot of guys just feeling a part of all-star weekend. Something I've, I've watched on TV for so long that would love to go back and obviously have a better showing. I think we can push for that. We're going to start campaigning for it. Maybe September we'll get ahead of it. And be like, because oh. a lot of dudes only want to do it once anyway, and then they're done. And then, you know, I, I was there for it and I, I, uh, I just felt bad. I wasn't going to reach out or anything like that, but I was like, damn, I was like, I'd been talking them up pretty big. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it again. Hopefully next year, you know, I'll, uh, I'll come back. I'll learn a few things, come back, have be a little bit better. Bet on me yeah, again. That's, that's got to suck though, when it's just out of your hands and you're like, where is it? Where is it? And it's happening. It? You're like, I'm in, I'm in the contest. Everybody's watching. And it's just, it just doesn't feel right. And right. Like, that, okay. Those are the things you try to drown out. I mean, there's, you know, the stage is the stage is the stage. You can't replicate it till the lights are on the, in the, the three, two, one, and all of a sudden you're going, but you know, that, that's something you try to drown out is, is everybody watching and, and how it's going. And then it was all of a sudden, I think I was on the second to last rack and I realized like I needed to slow down and, and try to make a shot. And I was, I don't think I finished in time because it was just like, I was just trying to find it at the end. Um, so it's unfortunate, you know, it's just kind of how it goes. That's all right. Can't wait. Big, big yeah. comeback story. Uh, all right. A couple, couple quicker ones here before we finish up. What's the best thing your head coach, Mike Brown has said to you? Yeah, he's not a, uh, guess he's not a one-liner guy. He's just, his accountability has been great all year from the first guy to the 15th or 16th guy. His just message is, is the same. It's consistency. It's showing up every day. It's playing a certain way, holding ourselves to a certain standard that I feel like everybody's bought in on just because everybody's held to the same standard. Does that 
help then when he, you know, I looked at that Phoenix game when I was watching it and it's like, oh, wow. Like, you know, the minutes, I mean, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to like end on a bad note or anything, but the fact that it's like, oh, okay, he's going to change up the rotation here a bit. Like, it seems like with you, there is no drama. It doesn't feel like there is any drama with the team. Again, I don't understand. I'm not necessarily around it. Uh, but to have that answer and then go, yeah, like if he wants to go with a different look to close, like we are already bought in and we're a good team. So we're not going to get into this. He is an Oregon D team. And so it really, you know, Mike is going to play for the most part at the end of games who's playing well. And, uh, you know, Malik Monk had a 45 point game earlier this year, closing that game. And he was super hot. Trey Lyles coming off the bench has closed games for us. Uh, Kessel Edwards, who's, New to our team from the deadline, closed that Phoenix game, had a big three in the corner. Davion with his defensive ability has closed games for us. So it kind of depends on the game. And um, again, that's something you respect just because we're here to win games. Now, there's no agenda on his part other than to figure out a way to win the game. And as a player, you you have to buy into that and we're seeing the results. How often do you look at the Western standings? Every day, multiple times. It's, uh, I mean... So you're one of those guys, you're that into it. You have, like, I, I don't, I think the guys who say they aren't are lying. Like, you're not in this race and you're not, not paying attention to it, especially this year. I mean, we're, we've been able to knock on what, you know, create a little bit of space here at the top two and three, but the whole Western Conference is like two games off of each other. And so there's movement every single night. You're trying to see where teams fall and land. And for us, it's, it's not like we're looking at, we're not a team looking or playing for a matchup. We're trying to get the highest seed possible to try to get home court. But, I'm watching it every day. You know, I, I watch a lot of games. I'm on league pass before, after games, and going in for sure checking the standings. What's Sacramento like living there, playing there, in comparison to what your expectations were? It's pretty spot on what the expectations were. I was I was coming from a big city. Sacramento isn't known as a big city. Uh, definitely quieter. Sacramento is great. It has you got like Tahoe. You got all the wineries. The weather's supposed to be good. It has rained every day in Sacramento. Like every day. We are home. We don't see the sun unless we leave. Uh, so that's been unfortunate. And people say the weather is... People say it's never like this. Well, it's, oh, it's, it's the worst weather we've had in a year. Like it's never like this. So that's been unfortunate. But Sacramento City, it's great. You know, it's it's got decent food. Um, you know, the fans are phenomenal. Uh, it's got really good suburbs, you know, good things to do. There's top golf, there's, there's golf, there's, uh, some like myself, there's enough to do. It's just not the same level of city as some of the other bigger cities in the NBA. Uh, I, I love this league pass thing. Cause I have, I'll have like broadcaster rankings where, you know, you get the dual broadcast and be like, oh, I'm going with this team over that team. And I'm not going to ask you to do that. Cause I don't want some, I don't want some, you down the road somewhere and they start killing you. And I can't understand, you know, only you and I will know why. What are your, like, if there's, you know, multiple games on the same slot, like, give me your ranking of, okay, I'm going with this team first or this player over these. Well, I'm fortunate. I got, I got two TVs in the living room, so I'm able to put two on at the same time. I'm definitely going right now. It's like Western Conference teams, uh, teams that are fun to watch that are going to score. Like I, I still like watching the Warriors. Um, for me, will watching. You go, will you go back and watch because you played last? Will you go back yeah. and watch Steph's game against the Clippers today? No, so I won't. Go, I'll go back and watch our games. I won't go back and watch other teams' games. So I'll watch them in real time. What's great about the West Coast is you get the East Coast games on before the game. Where when you're an Eastern Conference team, 
all the games are either at the same time as you or you're getting home and watching Western Conference later in the night. Whereas, yeah, I'm able to be in the locker room, go to my shooting time at four o'clock and, and most of the NBA is already playing. So on the East Coast, I'm, I'm watching most of the teams that are towards the top of the standings. I don't know the last time I watched Charlotte Hornets or Detroit Pistons game or Houston Rockets or, or Spurs game, like I would imagine most people. Uh, second, I'm watching the teams that are close to us in the standings, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, the Suns, the teams like that. And I mean, at the end of the day, I'm in the NBA, but I'm also a fan of the NBA. You know, I like watching players play, I like watching teams play and their style of play. That was a good answer. I wasn't trying to get you in trouble, and I didn't think you were. You, you're too good at this. But I, I didn't know if there would be like, because Anthony Edwards for me is like, if there's two games lined up, I go, oh, well, Anthony Edwards gets this TV. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to watch him. Um, you know, Zion was like that for a while and would be if when he starts playing again at some point. Yeah, yeah, I have, like, whenever I'll look at it, and again, if I haven't seen a team and I go, you know, you haven't really watched them that much in the last two weeks or something, put them on one of the TVs so you can be familiar with it again. Um, but hell, I think I think the, there was a player the other night where I was like, I actually don't know who that player is. I've never heard of him. And then I went, okay. I go, we're in that part of the season. Like literally had <laughs> never heard of him, never. And he was, he was playing, playing. But sometimes... <laughs> It might have been Detroit. I mean, Detroit's been sending out some rosters lately that you go, okay, you know, we we know what's at stake here. So, yeah, Detroit has like every top ten big man recruit of the last five years on their roster. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But yeah, it's that's the time of the year where you're starting to see more ten days and different lineups being thrown out, and uh, teams not exactly in, in win now mode at the bottom of the standings, but. Like you're, you're right. You you watch players for the most part. There's there's some players in this in this league that are must see TV, especially when they're on. So you watch those guys. Hey, this has been a lot of fun, man. I'm happy for you, uh, and I can't wait for the playoffs. So thanks for the time. Me too. Thank you for having me back. This episode is brought to you by Seed. You know, as you're getting a little bit older and you're like, hey, I wonder if I need that supplement. What's going on with that one? Does this one make me feel better or did I just buy it or did somebody suggest it? I'm not really quite sure what the deal is. I'll tell you this, probiotics, the right ones, they work. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24-hour clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole-body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Use the code 25RYAN, R-Y-E-N, that's 25RYAN, to start seeding today. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So 
Now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, life advice, rr at gmail.com. Kyle, status check. Still a good kisser. Um, <laughs> all right. Doing some, uh, <laughs> got a three-pod day. Got the uh, first first day of uh, March Madness upon us, the first real day. So, uh, and then we'll just see what the next couple of days bring us. So, What are you guys um, just, doing? You, is it you, J. Kyle Mann, and, and, Tate, and Tate are going out to the bar? Yeah. Yeah, Tate, Tate had a little bit of me in him where he was like, maybe we'll tell people where we're watching. And uh, I was like, I, even I was like, I don't think that's a good <laughs> idea, buddy. But um, so I'm just basically going to get through this. Maybe I think I'll be trying to drink a lot of coffees. I'm not, you know, it's so long. I'm just wondering how I'm going to get through this. I feel like the only way I'm going to get through this is cigarettes, but I'm trying not to do that. I'm just, it's like, it's either it's going to be like outside or am I going to be inside drinking this beer or am I going to be ordering like apple juice at the bar i don't know i'm all, a little nervous i'm sure i'll figure it out but it's just these long days and we you know gotta get back to spotify offices at like 9 30 10 p.m and pull off a podcast so i don't know i'm a little nervous i'm sure it'll be fine Wait, I, and, I might buy some then, cigarettes and then you have to go podcast at the actual office yeah in in 15 hours yeah and then we're gonna do that for a couple of days in a row that's gonna be great <laughs> So probably cigarettes. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I wasn't going to say you should probably smoke because that doesn't sound very cool. <laughs> Listen, you know, I'm in the gym. I'm offsetting it. I'm thinking about doing the uh, the 16-8 window, maybe intermittent fasting sort of deal. So maybe maybe cigarettes and fasting will be the way I get through these two weeks, and then we'll get right back <laughs> on track. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I just asked how you were doing, and it was the best part of the entire episode. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, thanks. No. I mean, whatever. What, what do you You're mean? <laughs> It it just was the best. I don't even want to. I don't even know. We have a lot of work to do. So let's let's get to it. That was incredible. Sure, you were going to skip uh, skip your status update. Now we're just, good. Yeah, I don't want. To, it's like Hendrix and the Who here. Okay. Uh, all right, fellas. Uh, we have a bad kisser update. Uh, so we will read this follow up, and we'll do a couple life advice. Uh, first of all, thanks for reading the advice the other day. Yeah, you guys torched me from the comp, uh, but it was all well deserved. There wasn't a single point you made that I couldn't disagree with. So you're not losing a fan. Awesome. Um, I don't think we'd like destroy, destroy this guy. I mean, obviously the Equinox guy got destroyed to a different level, but I just felt like he kind of deserved it. But um, so, all right, he had actually kind of a tough day. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it. So he was very happy with all of it. But here's the deal. Uh, I shared the story with a couple of my close friends and their advice was similar to yours. One told me to just let it go like Ryan. The other gave me the same advice as Kyle, where I should go out with her again and teach her a couple things. That's right. <laughs> Uh, I ended up following Ryan, my buddy's advice, keeping my distance for the week, going to dinner with my family instead of meeting up with her Friday. When I told her this, she said, quote, no worries. I totally get it. And I thought I was in the clear or so I thought Saturday night I had plans to meet up with some of the friends, uh, dinner that included her sister and brother-in-law. I was the first uh, one there and talked to a couple of my friends by the host stand with an eye on the door as we waited for the rest of the party. I see my buddy and his wife come through the door and then the bad kisser walks in right behind him. There was no warning from her that she had extended her trip. So the fact she didn't ever say like, hey, she knew you were going to be at the dinner and didn't say anything. um, That's a little weird. I can't believe the buddy wouldn't say something to you or, hey, you know, whatever. Yeah. But um, but neither of my friends knew we went out. Oh, no, wait, right. Yeah, reading back to the emails. So, yeah, neither of my friends that knew that we had decided to go out even gave me a heads up. So, yeah, that's all kind of weird. I kept it friendly uh, with a high, grabbed a seat at the opposite end of the table for most of dinner. We didn't say a single word. 
she was sitting across from a couple of friends of mine that I had not seen in a while. I wanted to catch up with them. I made my way to their side of the table after the main course. All right, that's cool. I like the moving table, different seating, everybody checking in with everybody. Making small talk with her as I try to keep the conversation going with my friends and not talk too much to her. So you're icing her out pretty good, which you can already see. Uh, most of the group wanted to grab a drink after dinner, and I went along with the group. I went to the bathroom before we were leaving dinner, and as I came out, I was ambushed by her. I knew she it. Was, yep. She's waiting outside of the bathroom and says, quote, I want to talk to you real quick. Oh, man. She keeps asking me if I'm going to get a drink, and I tell her, yes, I'm going. This doesn't seem to suffice. So uh, she asked me if I really want to go because I don't seem that into her. So she's like, hey, follow up. We fall following up. And he was like, um, all right, the email continues. This is some high school stuff that I haven't seen in years. I'm thinking to myself, did she really stop to ask me if I liked her? Uh, are we all on the same page here, right? Right, because she's saying, "Hey, you don't, yeah, right." I don't. I thought she was just going to grab him again, but uh, I'm glad she just <laughs> asked not, him a question. I didn't read the email. Go in well. for it. Yeah, I thought he was going to be like where the phone booth used to be, but now it's just like an empty, you know, corner of a restaurant. I thought he was just going to be trapped. So I'm glad that he's just a little uncomfortable and not like scratched up already. Yeah, right. We're making out again. I'm making you make out with me. Um, <laughs> right. I, I heard Rosillo's pod. I want to now people you. can see. <laughs> right. But to clear this up, she waits outside of the bathroom because I didn't read this well. I just want to make yes, sure the audience is all it. with us here. Um, and she's asking him, are you going to go out for a drink after? And he says, yes, because he wants to go out with the group. And then she says, well, it doesn't seem like you're that into me. Uh, all right. So I take a deep breath and I'm just honest with her. I tell her I'm going to get drinks with everyone, but I don't see anything else happening between us. She doesn't say anything, gets up and walks back to the group. I am home free. It doesn't stop there, though. We go out and get some drinks. She starts flirting with the other, other single guy there. She hadn't said a single word to this guy all night. And all of a sudden she's laughing and flirting with him. I was just laughing to myself the whole time. She gives me. Oh, wait, she gives him her number, a hug and a kiss on the way out as she walks right by me. I dodged a bullet. And just telling her I wasn't interested to provide it even more entertainment. I don't know the guy very well and didn't have the heart to tell him how bad at kissing she was. But, hey, maybe he is the guy for her. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't. You like talking to people about stuff, man. I was going to say, um, once again, not for right. you to discuss. Just let just yeah. let him make his own mistakes. It's fine. <laughs> hey, bro, just so you know, I don't know you very well, but I made out with her a week ago. And she's fucking bad at it. So good luck. <laughs> Lots of teeth. Yeah. Careful. This guy'd be a good therapist. He pulls his shirt off and shows yeah. the scratch marks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you see this one? That's a grade three. Uh put some ointment on that. Yep. Yeah. Hey dude, are you hemophiliac? <laughs> All right. Help a guy uh, out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the guy very well. All right, so we went on. Um uh, she was definitely leaving the next day, and I probably won't see her up until the next time she's in town. Haven't heard from her since. At the end of the day, it's just another great story of dating in your 30s. I just hope it doesn't happen again. Charge. He says chalk this one up to the game, but Kyle, that's not what we say in the pod, right? We say charge it to the game, but, you know, there's variations, uh, you know, different regions, I think. So that's okay. Okay. There you go. All right. Uh, let's fix some lives here. Let me get another dating one, sort of. Oh, it's balding dating. I can. This is take this, is this right one. The, take this, this one, is, man. This is right in the Venn diagram of what we do here. All right, six three one eighty one eighty five, depending on the day. I like it. Very precise. I met this girl for a first date uh, tonight off the dating app Hinge. All right, this is like a week ago. We'd only talked for about a week before deciding to meet up for drinks. I've been slowly losing hair since I was about twenty one. I'm currently twenty six. 
and had been on Finisteride. We looked that up. I don't know what any of the supplement stuff is. I don't think that's a dating supplement. Is that a date? Is that a dating site for guys prematurely balding? I don't, I don't think I so. I don't think so. Right, right. Because he's on Hinge. So he's been on this. Uh, oh, it's like uh, you spray it on your you spray it on your head, grows your hair back potentially. Yeah, that's not like the flakes, right? That's a that's an actual topical. What they call it? Yeah. Am I pronouncing I it right? I I don't feel like I am, but I, whatever. I, I spelled it the way you said it, and I got I nailed it. So I think yeah. you did. Yeah, I see. It's okay. like uh, keeps hymns. All the uh, all the internet brands show up, so they can get it right to your house. I still feel like if there. one really, really worked, then everybody would know about it, and it would be the most valuable company in the world. Well, that's um, what I'm confused. Like all those companies say, like balding, like you don't have to be bald, you know. And you're like, yeah, but they're still bald guys. So isn't that, why wouldn't this be a bigger deal? Hey, I've I've heard testimony that like you can do it, but the second you stop, it all goes away. So it's just sort of like, all right, take this forever. Or otherwise, don't. And it's more like retention than loss. So I don't. I'm not. And I don't sure know exactly. what the side effects are. Or any of the stuff like that was the big Propecia thing. And again, new listeners know this. This doctor in Boston, mid twenties, shoulder banged up, twenty seven, twenty eight. I wanted to start taking Muay Thai courses. And then I also was like, can you check out my shoulder? Something's wrong. And then I was like, while we're here, can I propitiate? And the guy like, it was like I asked to date his daughter if his daughter were also Margot Robbie, you know? <laughs> and he just like was such a dick about it. I don't know if this, I, I'd like to run into him. You know? <laughs> just, he was such an asshole. And I'm in my 20s. You're already starting to get depressed about it. Like I had a really hard time with it when I was like, are you fucking serious? This is going to fucking happen. And then we've covered it about like, and then I'm going to be on TV. So that's not going to be great. Um, so it's tough, man. It's tough when you're younger and you're kind of going through this, like, shit, this is going to happen. And that was the Propecia phase. And some of my dudes were on it and it clearly was working. Um, and then the doctor was like, Hey, I, you know, I was like, I'd like to get on it. And he was like, no, <laughs> no, no. Like he so, thought yeah, you were trying you know, to fake an injury for oxys or something like yeah, that. Get yeah, out of seriously. Here, I, right. I see yeah. you a mile away. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> oh, here your for fucking, fucking arm hurts. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Kyle. Well done. So my knees clicking and I'd like some oxy. Can we get out of here? <laughs> uh, no, I, I, you nailed it. And he was like kind of a good looking doctor, but he was a ginger. So if there's a Boston doctor who's a ginger, who's maybe now like if I were 27, if you're in their mid fifties, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> Who knows what I would have been able to accomplish? Jesse Palmer looking hair out there. And like, well, get up right now. Yeah. Right. Like Greeny's fucking digital only. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, sliding doors, man. Sliding doors. Sliding doors. Fucking guy. He's probably still in Boston. He was a good looking ginger, though. It was weird. So credit to him for being a good looking. Well, wait a minute. We just have Kevin Herter on. We can't, we can't be calling yeah, out. I was going to say, his, he, Kevin yeah. has great hair, so he's a good looking dude. Yeah. Yeah. But I've, I'm saying that as if there's no good looking gingers and that's not true. That's not true. I think that, I think if, you know, for the gingers out there, I think you understand this conversation. St. Patrick's Day go, Eve, right. no less. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> you don't have to, let me get fucking jump next time I'm in Massachusetts. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. So he says, uh, one of the hardest things he's ever had to deal with. Hey man, we just did five minutes on it again. I still, I mean. Things have worked out for me, and I still am sort of annoyed. All right, I'm at the point where I can get by, but it's definitely noticeable. Sun, water, water's the enemy of thinning hair, man. <laughs> fucking, like, now, nah, maybe I'll jump in later. Maybe I'll jump in later. Bright light settings, 
hey man, I know. Like you leave one bar with a crew and then you go into the next bar and there's a girl you kind of like and you're going to a downstairs bar and you're like, I can't walk down the staircase ahead of her. We all, right? You're like, hang back, hang back. By last call, it'll be too late. Bring up the she rear. Be t- I'll, yeah, right. I'll grab beers. You, I'll meet you guys down there. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, do you want to sit here? Wait, in front of the heart mirror? Like a stool against the wall with a bar mirror behind it? Nah, I'll just kind of chill out over here. I'll just kind of chill. Because for me, it was just fighting the perception of that spot, like that big divot out of the back of my head. So I was like, if I can, if I can get away with this long enough and, you know, a couple good jokes might be all right might be all right but watch out for mirrors and staircases all right so T-shirt. uh he says his hairstyle does a decent job of disguising it for the most part but it's noticeable i'm not at the point where i'm ready to accept fate and shave the head don't if you don't if you're not comfortable doing it don't do it and by the way if it's just kind of thinning and you're 26 and nobody really notices it right away fucking ride that out don't listen to all the other people that want everyone to shave their head immediately because they had to go through it that's a real like I had to deal with all this pain. I want you to feel it too. Bald people don't root for each other. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I am rooting for you. Uh, you know, I'm zagging against the entire fucking industry. So I feel like this is 100% affected my dating life. My previous girl standards whilst having a full head of hair remain unchanged, unfortunately. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I mean, again, at some point you do have to kind of change. Change, you know, if you notice around you, like, boy, it seems like less people are interested in me, but that's not where we're at right now with you, I hope. So, um, he said that he guesses he doesn't do the best job of highlighting his thinning hair on the app. Uh oh. But I'm also not at the point where I decide to post, uh, post a straight up close up of it either. I don't think it's wrong. I mean, what is this guy supposed to do? An overhead yeah, We're all shot choosing on, angles. On, we're all yeah. using angles here. Don't, right. don't, yeah, come on. Yeah. It's fine. Just make sure your height's right. <laughs> yeah. Just have the height, you know, stay within an inch. Age is, age should be accurate, but yeah, it's okay if you want to choose the best angle. I don't think that's crazy. I think that's what everybody's doing. Yeah, yeah, right, right. No problem. Okay, all right, so here we go. This brings me to tonight. About an hour into the day, I think we've hit it off for the most part. We have common interests. She's good looking and have given, uh, had given signs that she was interested. One and a half drinks in, she giggles. Are you balding? I replied, what? Ha ha. She sounds funny. She repeated herself. I tried my best not to get offended and said something along the lines of maybe a little. I'm not really sure. LOL. (laughs) (laughs) What a great answer. I'm not really sure. Like, man, I haven't thought about it every single minute for fucking six straight years. Why do you why do you ask? The next few minutes I had to recover from this since this is the first time I'd ever been told this from a girl, especially all caps on a first date. Okay, I felt like I was completely over it at first, but notice she kept the same level of enthusiasm and interest for the next hour. She constantly touched my knees, but I could tell she would gaze her eyes up at my hair every once in a while, and it was obvious. It was like a mole on somebody's face where you're like, I can't stop looking at the mole, and she was doing it to your hair. I don't think she was drunk, but maybe a little tipsy. Fast forward 30 minutes, and she's proposing going to the movies tomorrow. Honestly, we should hook her up with the previous guy from the bad kissing experience because they say whatever is on there, or they want to tell everybody what they're thinking immediately, Uh, or that could be the worst. All right. So um, I don't think she was drunk. Fast forward 30 minutes, she's proposing we go to the movies tomorrow, and 30 minutes after that, we're making out in her car. How should I feel about her bringing up my biggest insecurity. What if this is the guy for the second guy from the dinner from the previous bad kissing? <laughs> right. So I was at this dinner and she didn't really talk to me much at first, 
But then she went to the bathroom and her whole pulled the fucking ripcord right right after that. Right. (laughs) How should I feel about her bringing up my biggest insecurity? Should I be relieved that the cat is out of the hat? Uh, Or should I be worried? Yeah, I know. About her insensitive remark and boldness. Who am I to blame her, though? I should have been more straightforward in my profile. None of us think you should have been. Don't worry about it. Any thoughts and advice if I should see it through and lean in my inevitable future? Uh, Finistride has done a decent job for the most part, but it's not at the point where I'm confident. I've thought of taking the turkey trip and getting the transplant, but it's not feasible with my job. Is that really working? Is this Turkish? The Turkish people have figured it out. It seems like a myth. It's like a thing you say, maybe. I think it's a thing you just see on Instagram again. It's like when Bill makes the joke about like a basketball player going to Germany and getting a new ACL. It's like, I don't think they're all doing that. I don't think, I don't think that's what everyone does, but it's just a thing people say maybe. Yeah, I think when Kobe got it, that's why he was like more. But then when you started to realize that like a ton of athletes went to Germany to do this thing, the thing's super expensive, by the way, too. looked into it. Maybe I intentionally get fired so I can make the trip out to the land of $3,000 transplants. Currently working on getting that hundred to, oh, he wants to go from 180 to 200, but I'm not dedicated enough at the moment. Also, don't think my face would suit going all the way bald due to my average bone structure. Any advice on seeing it through with this girl in the dilemma? Uh, that you once faced is appreciated. I got to tell you, um, I don't think most women out there are like, you know, I do want to meet somebody who's losing his hair. All right. I think that's a totally fair and reasonable thing. And I'm not worried about the feelings part of that because I think we still need to operate with just some basic understanding how fucking people work. But there are some women who don't give a shit, man. There are some women who don't care. And there's even another level of women that actually are fucking into it. So when you meet somebody, and, you know, you say are in my situation, right? And, you know, what I don't shaved it. I, I don't even remember when. Less than 10 years, but more than five. Um, maybe eight years ago. It was kind of cool to be over it. Um, I lucked out with not a horrible dome, you know, bone structure. I don't know. I don't know how you've already been able to assess your bone structure uh, with hair on it. But, you know, whatever research you're doing. Uh, cool. Uh, so you just have to understand that, like, if you're going to not have a great head of hair, it's going to limit your pool, your recruiting pool. It's going to be a little bit more limited. You know what I mean? Like if you're in Nebraska, you're just not going to get the same recruits as you are down in Louisiana, right? That's, this all goes without saying, but what, what you're telling us in this email is that you should be fucking pumped. Get over your feelings about this. Yeah. All right. She, shook you up a bit there you know through a little jab right the soft jabs to kyle she she punched you right in the nose and then she made out with you and then asked you to do something else so all of these fucking anxieties that men have when they're first going through this all the stuff we've already covered the angles the staircase the fucking mirrors the light the pool you don't have to do any of that shit if you were to actually start dating her because she already knows as you said the cat out of the hat uh, so this is a great email. It's a success story. It's totally. a big win. So I wouldn't stop, you know, look, as somebody who can overthink things, I'm world class. Stop fucking thinking about this. Stop. Be psyched. Be fucking pumped that you don't have to like, oh, it went pretty well. And then you have all you don't have to have any of the shit that you have leading up to the first meet because you've already fucking talked about it. And she laughed and she still wants to hang out with you. So this is awesome news, man. Yeah, she sounds like cool is one of her attributes. I remember, like, I think it was 2017, I went home and there was like a girl, 
her and I used to see each other, but we just hadn't seen each other for a long time. And it was like one of my trips home. And we were like, it wasn't like a date, but I guess, you know, we kind of knew it was supposed to happen later. And she was just like, oh, you got fat. Oh, I was like, oh, Jesus. And she was like, that's okay. You're so cute. Like, it, I like it. And it was like and one of those kisser. things. Where she, yeah, yeah, she knew that. <laughs> that never went anywhere. That if anything, that just got add a little more seasoning onto that. But she was like, she was like, oh, you got fat. Did you get fat? And I was like, oh, my God, what do I say here? And then it was uh, fine. Yeah, I, know, and it was I was pathetic. like, I was like, you're actually like, she was actually cool about it. And I got over with it and actually just felt, I felt pretty like pretty free after that. It was like, I don't have to do the whole shirt adjusting thing anymore. That's great. I did get fat. There's a, there's an extra 15 pounds since you seen me. That's okay. Um, so, uh, I, I, that was actually pretty liberating. So I think you should be happy about that. That's just out of the way and you don't have to wonder, even if you see her like glancing, it's like, Hey, it's already been out there. And the other thing I would say, like, you know, moving forward, I would just say, you know, are you a guy that can that can maintain and, and grow a really great beard. I think that matters to a lot of people. Yes. And then, um, you know, I don't know, maybe get the shoulders a little wider. I don't know where you're at now, but I just think that's stuff you can't control. You know, are you into tattoos? Just kidding. Don't do that if you don't want it. But uh, I think there's just other things you that you can do here. And um, a neck yeah, tat really just... into the face does distract from the ball part. <laughs> mm. Like an <laughs> eagle sure. flying up over your cheek. Yeah, something going jaw. around the ear there too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah I'm just saying there's other things you can control. America. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Kyle. I feel like I've actually I've actually messed around with and I have like a pretty good head of hair. Like I'm not trying to brag, but I've messed around with like the should I kind of just buzz it and go with the beard look? Because I do think the bald head beard look is a good look. I'm not even just trying to say this because Ryan has it. All. Ryan, your hair on top is getting pretty long these days. Um, yeah, I, I didn't pack my uh, my clippers. <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can only grow it out from the side. It'd but... be awesome if I just said, you know, I'm gonna grow it out. That would be an amazing bet if we had a bet and like big stakes, and it was the grow it out for a year challenge. Just see what like happens. If, well, that's I why I kind of, res- I kind of respect the guys like the Larry Davids and even the Paul Feinbaums who just who they just rock the horseshoe. Like I, you know, they just they don't care. They don't, like you. You should probably get rid of that. But they're like, no, I'm gonna rock this weird thing where I've got completely bald on top and I got the horseshoe on the side. I kind of respect that guy. So you, you know, it's a certain look, and you know, you're definitely limiting your pool if you're single at that point. But you know, most of those guys are probably married, so it's fine. I'd love to. I'd love to know the youngest horseshoe guy going. <laughs> <laughs> I'd get him on the pod. Yeah, we need those stats too, who's, pal. Don't who's leave not him out. doing it as a joke? Who's serious? Well, and he's like 24. Oh. Yeah, because remember everybody did like, like a the mustache or, something? or the mullet as like they did it ironically. Are there dudes doing the horseshoe ironically? I think that'd be awesome. I'd want to see it. Oh, I think there probably are, but I don't know how long. I think they're in college and it grows one, back. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to shave it and like, hey, it's a joke or some hazing thing or you're on the hockey team. The guys do it. I want to meet the guy that's legit full horseshoe and is combing it down and gets it trimmed regularly. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's like at least Maintaining an inch, a couple it. inches long. Yeah. Yeah, just be like buzz because because, you know, like Van Pelt would have like you could kind of see it when Van Pelt would have it on the sides. It would be but it was like a a very short. You know, he just need to trim it up. I'm talking about the guy who's like one inch, two inches long of hair all the way around the back of his head. Yeah. All Uh, right. I think we covered that one. Let's get to the next one. Just because we with the follow up, we have a lot going on here. Do we get everything we needed from you, Kyle? Yeah, I think we got it all. I just think she's cool, man. You should you should definitely not be worried about this at all. Okay, Uh, I agree. All right, let's do one that's a little different. It's about tenure. Okay. Uh, greetings, big fan of the pod, 40 years old. Oh, 48 years old. Legit 6'1". Pretty well put together. 195, according to my wife and me at least. As a middle-aged guy, <laughs> I lift every day, stay in shape, uh, look reasonably good. So I'll skip to the 
Uh, but I'll skip the unimpressive gym stats. Okay. All right. That was a full intro. It was well written. All names have been changed. All right. I currently live in a northeastern state that's known for its inferiority complex. Which one? Uh, particularly as it relates to the geographic size and scope. Until moving to this part of the country, I lived the first 40 years of my life in the states that were once part of the Confederacy. All right. Uh, and one of those stops was in Miami, which is confounds and complicates all kinds of descriptions. I'm a Southern Jew in a Southern New England town state. Shit is crazy. Anyway, here's my issue. I'm a tenured professor at a regional serving public college. And one part of the process of becoming a tenured professor is what's called external review. Essentially, senior professors around the country are asked to review a junior professor's portfolio of work, publications, TV, teaching evaluations, service to the school and community, et cetera, and weigh in on whether or not that person is deserving of tenure. It's a little more involved than that, but essentially that's it. The whole tenure thing is problematic, and this part of the process often doesn't do much to make it better or more equitable. Uh, for those, the you know, I imagine most of you know the concept of tenure, but once you get it, it's like, all right, you can you're call good. people virgins. It's all good. Yeah, mm. yeah, right, right. It's catching uh, on, by the way. It's, it really is. A lot of people tweet me things. It's, it's, a, it's way more common than we thought. Yeah, a lot of people are loving it. People are loving it. All right, so back to the email. This past summer, that would be 2022, my good friend Kevin and I were both asked to review the 10-year portfolio of the same professor. Let's call him Joel. Kevin works in a different part of the country. We went to grad school together and been tight ever since. This is the first time we've been asked to review the same person's portfolio. We both thought the same thing. We hated Joel's work. It was uninspiring, unoriginal, and just plain weak. Plus, his students gave him awful teaching evaluations. We didn't even look at the ones during the height of COVID, but it didn't matter. Dude seems like he enjoys treating sh uh, students like shit. The word rude and condescending uh, were both used in many students' evaluations. And just a few went ahead and said he's a dick. By the time we finished reviewing Joel's, Joel's portfolio, we could see where they were coming from. Kevin and I are not fans of Joel. Fast forward a few months to the fall of 2020. 22, and Kevin and I are at a conference that we attend every year because academia is a small world and disciplines we all work in make our own little world even smaller. We found ourselves sitting at the same table at a bar with, you guessed it, Joel. One of those friend of a friend of a friend kind of deal. Regardless, the three of us were all there. Now, it's important to know that at this point, Joel doesn't know if he's been granted tenure or not, and thus neither do we. We don't know how our assessments of his work landed. Tenure decisions almost always come in the spring as academia moves at such a ridiculously slow pace that the word glacial is generous. And again, Kevin and I have no idea just how much weight our reviews will have. Our job is to give feedback, and we did. We, he could still get tenure. Sucks for all of those future students. Anyway, once we put together who Joel is, Kevin asks me if we should tell him about our reviews of his work. Oh, no. Again. Absolutely not. <laughs> in a bar? Now? <laughs> Uh, now you have to understand that while I consider myself a good dude, Kevin is the sweetest, kindest guy I know. We had just smoked some high quality cannabis. And we're working on our second whiskey. We were in our minds, but feeling good. Um, Kevin's point was that if Joel was denied tenure, he needed to know why, and more specifically, what some senior scholars in his field think of his work. Again, we have no idea how much will be shared with Joel. If he is denied tenure, every school handles these things differently. In the uh. end, I talked all right. In the end, I talked Kevin down from the bar at a conference hotel at 1 a.m. Uh, being the best venue for telling. All right. Not being, I think we should say, not being the best venue for telling someone why we think their work sucks. Bullet dodged until dot, dot, dot. Last week, Kevin texted me that he's been snooping on Joel's social media. And it turns <laughs> out that Joel 
was in fact denied tenure. Joel is not pleased. He's letting all 700 of his followers know it. <laughs> <laughs> which is a sneaky That's funny. awesome line nice. um, important to note about getting denied tenure when you don't get tenure you're essentially fired uh, you get to stay for one more academic year during which you're supposed to find employment elsewhere but whether you find another job or not you're out after that year it's a shitty deal even if you're a Joel Fast forward again till right about now. Kevin and I are going to a conference in April that we go to infrequently. But since the pandemic started, we promised to make more of an effort to see each other, especially when our respective schools will pay the bill for us to attend a conference. And I know you know where this is going. Yes, Joel is going to be there, too. And Kevin thinks it might finally be time to give Joel feedback. So my questions are as follows. Do you feel a professional responsibility to give honest, constructive criticism to those in your field, even when the feedback is will probably result in hurt feelings and a bruised ego. Do you ever offer such criticism unsolicited? And do you ever do so in a bar in a city where none of you live, where you're all escaping your responsibilities for a few days? Okay, um, let's do the easy one first. That was not the time. You're 100% right. You know, there are rare occasions where I'll think back to the night before and be like, you know, I'm psyched I brought that up, that topic up at 1.30 a.m. <laughs> you know, like, like, hey, everybody's bullshitting. Some guy's telling a story. Then another guy asks to follow up. Then another guy tells a story. And then it's like getting late. And somebody's like, you know, hey, do you think Bill might be poor? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> <it doesn't>, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> there's never times or like, you know, you're talking to a girl and then you go like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, there's just very rare chances. You're like, I'm fucking pumped. I brought that up when I did in that in that occasion. You know, like I again, there's another side of it too. Like Herm Edwards' famous line about like nothing good happens after midnight. I would tell you that only good things happen to me after midnight for a very long stretch of my life. Um, so I, <laughs> I that that dance, you know, that whole dance of like, should I bring? That's almost never a good time to do it. And you're not even fucking friends with the guy. Okay. <laughs> so how do you think that's going to go? Like if it's a core core, like we've been through weird shit together, you know, we've known each other since kindergarten. We've got the school picks together. You know what I mean? Like if it's one of your absolute road dogs, one of your guys, no matter what you're, you're picking up the phone for him then maybe that's the time to do it because you already have the connection and there can't be like when you don't have any equity built up with the other person and then you do something or say something or ask a question about something and you're like at zero equity level, then you're going to get treated way worse. You know, like that's one of the weird things about meeting buddies when you get a bit older. And this is a bit of a different rant. So maybe I should save it before we get another guy ask about how to make friends in your forties. But you know, the reason you have your friends from your younger years is you've done all this stuff together. And so there's a tolerance for each other. When you're trying to meet new guys, there's no tolerance. There's zero. So like the one night you're off or the one thing you say wrong or you, you're late or you blow something off or you don't do what you're supposed to fucking do, you know, you're going to be held to a much more difficult standard because there's no built up years of understanding each other where that guy's probably done something wrong to you. So that's why, you know, getting a little bit older. So anyway, that's that's a bit of a deviation. I'll probably spend more time of that in my third book. Um, but on the the follow up of, of what should you do now? My my career is not one. The idea that I'd be walking down the hallway going to cowherd being like, you know, that's eh, just a fucking C open, man. That open <laughs> was a C <laughs> just, you know, not a great premise. Didn't really sell it. 
made two good points, made seven that were irrelevant. So you thought you were making nine good points. <laughs> no. Or telling Van Pelt, hey, man, just want to, you need to button up your interviews a bit more. That wouldn't go well. That's not going to happen. And I would also offer, if I didn't know you really well and you told me my show was bad that day, I would probably <laughs> tell you to go fuck yourself. Right. All right. One specific radio manager who literally only told me when he thought my show was bad, which he thought my show was bad all the time. And it's like, you've never once said I did any, this isn't about Ray. He was great. <laughs> uh, but you can't like when you're working with on air people, you can't only tell them when you think they're bad. You can't like, you know, and if you're going to tell them they're good, try not to have it be like, I really loved your energy today. It was super great teases. Um, <laughs> but no, this one guy just, thought I sucked all the time. And I'm just like, I, why are you even talking to me anymore? Like, I get it. You just think I suck. Fine. Uh, I don't know. Like Bill every now and then will reach out about something. And he, I don't know. I think it was like two years ago. I think it was, and he even prefaces. He's like, I give you no, almost no notes. You're doing this one thing and you should do it this way. And guess what? Bill was a hundred percent right. But Bill and I have enough respect for each other that I'm like, Bill almost never reaches out to tell me that he thinks I could do something better. And it wasn't even like a full-blown criticism. It was like, hey, you should probably try to do it this way instead of that way. And I already knew that I should have. And him saying, I was like, yeah, no, I get it. I would, we're cool. Um, I, this one's this one's nice because you're actually doing him a huge favor. You're solving the mystery. But are you ready as two guys that barely know him to say, we actually reviewed some of your stuff and this is why it all sucks. And then this is why you didn't get tenure. Is he going to go, hey, you know what, guys who I barely fucking know who cost me my job at the university? Thanks for the feedback. I'm going to smash Thank this beer bottle on your head. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, that's really cool, you guys. It's probably if he's going on Twitter complaining about it, what do you think he's going to say to you? So. I would say you're probably avoiding a hassle with somebody you're not going to have that much of a relationship with. I do understand the constructive part of it that maybe this could be his, you know, what is he in his thirties? You're 48. So maybe he's 40, you know, I don't know. He's younger. Maybe this could be his fork in the road career wise. You know, like I do think there are some benefits, but it sounds like you don't want to deal with the hassle because most people wouldn't want to deal with this hassle. Um, but maybe if you wrote up the shitty review, maybe it's on you. I mean, this is a completely different world. And that's why I say the world that I work in is almost a bad comp for all this stuff. Because if you're going to be somebody going up to somebody on air, you better be really good with them. You better be fucking awesome at your job too. That's the other deal. Like, especially for what I do, if you're not good, like somebody who I think sucks is telling me my episode sucks. I'm like, all right, thanks, bro. You know, planes, chains, and automobiles. Thanks a lot. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Got it. Um, I don't know, maybe Kyle, like, I don't know if this is a question about this specific to the email, but just feedback in general from people that you would listen to versus people that you wouldn't. I think feedback in general is more, more should be at your, at the person's request. Um, you know, I guess if something, if something's massively wrong and it's somebody that you work with day to day, I could see that, but that's not the case here. And like you also said, like, yeah, your world is different. Their world is different. Academia is about as unique as it gets, right? I mean, some people write papers that only other you know only the a word few alone other yeah <laughs> but i mean it's just like it's all it's a world where it just kind of exists and everybody's smelling their own farts anyway so i think i think that's like a completely different world anyway so i would i guess i would be wondering like is this like court where like where after the sentence passed you get the paperwork and you could see who fucking snitched on you or you could see what statements were given if it's not i'd say you don't have to do this at all i'd say it's definitely it's not like criticism that you that you like want it's not, it's not something that he's like looking for 
you know, he didn't ask you for for your feedback. This would just be you be like, hey, sorry, we fucked you over last year. Your work is uninspired <laughs> like that. And that's what you're going to say is like, we thought your work was uninspired and we just didn't like this. Like, it's just this is a bad idea unless it unless it all comes out and he's going to see your names on his fucking papers like it was with uh, with, with court. You know, I, I don't I don't see why you need to do this at all. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think it, it, it might also, be. It might be the academia thing. Like people in the world listening to this might be going, no, you guys are wrong. This isn't about avoiding the hassle. It's about continuing to try to get better. people to be better. Right. So uh, I struggle with that a little bit because I, I do think if Kyle, you kind of hit on something there. If, if this guy failed and didn't get the tenure and he has and he doesn't even know why I do kind of think I'd want to know why, you know, I'd want to. I know. would. I, yeah. So. You, you, but there yeah, was no probably, comments. There was no like anonymous I don't comments. Know. That, 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 that we had because like the, the school like, sends you a Reddit thread. It's like here's what people thought. <laughs> yeah, but because usually like, with there's, feedback, there's like comment sections. It's not no, just like maybe you're right. failing maybe grade. You're right. It's a it's but, a D, and I can't tell you why. Like, like there's, I don't know. we we've like kind of done two different versions of this. Like the guy who wanted to give the girl advice about how she could be a better kisser. Like that is a, always a no. This one to me is a little bit more nice. of a gray area. I agree. You, you know, sure, like you're, Rudy's honest because that, here. there's no value in that. No, it's not going to go well. It doesn't matter at all. It's not helping anyone's see career. Her yeah, right. This like this guy could actually stand to learn something from this. And again, he's probably not going to take it well. You're, there's no na- there's no way your names are on that. There's no way this, this guy knows you did it. No, but he says when, in the email that that he uh, he likely wouldn't anonymous. know or, or, yeah. or wouldn't. So. But okay. I just don't personally like I would want to know. I'd want to know what like what somebody thought I was doing a bad job on. Um. Now you don't. Maybe he doesn't want that, but I, I would let your buddy Kevin do it. Like if you want to do it, just be like Kevin. You can do it. I'm going to sit this one out. Make sure there's uh, a different but, bar but, nearby. You could go. But to. as the guy, I, <laughs> I actually kind of would want to know. So I'm. It's to me, it's kind of a gray area. How big is he? Is another part. You <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I. I'm as we're talking this out. I am starting to think like in their world, which I'm not pretending to understand, but. You know, if you're in this world, like you should aspire to be better. Like you, I mean, all you could say, hey, all of us should be doing that, but I don't. You know, I don't think that's realistic. Uh, it, that would be such a wake up call, right? To be this wake up call, but like though, I didn't get it, and so you know, can can academics talk to each other? Like, is this normal? Is it normal for the people who have done the review that were probably part of the calculation of this guy not getting tenure? Is it normal for them to say, like, we need to talk to you about your work? I mean, much like a student, and granted, there's different stakes, but if you're a student who keeps fucking up and then you go meet with your professor, like, he's going to go, this sucks, this is bad, like, your your entire premise for this is dumb, your theories on this are outdated, and like you would have to know that. So granted, you're saying, okay, this is somebody who's older, is not a student, but in a way, like you're still sort of in that world. So if your work is that bad, you know, it's not just, hey, F, well, what happened? I mean, this isn't a math test. It's but every what- every year, these, I mean, every student you have, you pretty much, you know, the professor drops some shit on the desk and leaves the room for an hour. So he's getting that as anyway. Like, you know, they're probably being honest. I'm sure there's a bunch of shitty students you have to sift through like, oh, this is just a comment that doesn't mean anything. But if he's been working there Bad for a while, shirts. every, yeah. <laughs> every, every year, you know, coffee breath, whatever, gets too close. But I just mean like every year there's like, there's going to be or every semester any every student he has writes something every student loves to do that shit even if even if you like the person or you're or you're neutral every student just does it so i didn't pull like, out one of those you didn't oh uh well the only one i ever did was for a guy that towards the end of my my thing he let me do a special project uh for political science 
which, uh, you know, roots back to my intense, intense passion for politics today. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) thanks guy. Thanks for that. (laughs) Uh, no, but I, he, it was a thing that took like a year to write for him. And so I wrote it for him and it got approved by the department to be like, you know, cause I was managing a bar trying to graduate. So I was like, can I do like, what are these theses all about? <laughs> like we can work on a special project in your major. So you don't have to take two more courses. And I was like, done. I'm gonna have this whole theory. I'm going to write it out. And the guy was like, that's amazing. And again, I was such a fucking fraud. I'm like at the library citing, be like Harper in, 1912 said right you know and the fucking thing was so long and i thought it was really good and it was just long he's like b minus <laughs> done yeah he was done with you all right 10 yeah, out of 10 professor I, and then i went to him and was like what was wrong with it you know he's like oh, i was all right he's like it was pretty long right and i was like yeah man longest thing i ever wrote so i was like super impressed with myself he's and then like, he's like you have to right he was like you have to do something now like where you have to review like how you think i did and i fucking love the guy so i mean you know yeah was, I would have drawn a picture of him if I could paint or draw, whatever. <laughs> All right. Is that right. it? Is there anything left on that? I'm good. I'd say if you do okay. this, just make sure you're closed out before you fucking start talking to a guy at a bar like that. Um, <laughs> to see if you guys could just make a speedy escape just in case he's still not over it. Like, all right, another round of haymakers. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Be like, hey, Joel. Um, Here's the deal, man. Your fucking work <laughs> sucks and everyone hates you. And we voted no. How long are you in town for? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> sir, sir, you mind if we just get a check? Ah, yeah, he's pretty busy. He'll be around soon. No, we're getting another so, round. No, no, we're getting another round. I'm just, yeah, no, that's a good point, Kyle. <laughs> do you do that sometimes? Have you, have you closed out ahead of time pre-confrontation? That's confrontation, brilliant. confrontation, or like if I'm sensing like, oh, the group might be moving, just any anything where it's like it'd be better if I could if I could just, you know, if I could just leave at any moment's notice. So there goes um, I've done that. Guy never leaves a debit card. <laughs> yeah, you Legend. usually don't. Usually don't. Lose the keys, phone, but I do usually have my cards. Uh that'll do it for us. Hey Kyle, see you Sunday. Uh I think I will. I guess it is it is gonna be a it is you might not. I don't know. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a late night college basketball night. So uh, you might your days of seeing me Sunday might be over, and you didn't even know they existed. So yeah, who cares? I forgot that they they even started. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. Brian Russo, the podcast. Ringer Spotify.